Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio episode 181 for Thursday, April 25th, 2013. I'm your host, Rich, and I'm calling number is 347-324-3541. Again, our calling number 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, so... Last week was a very, very, very interesting show for a couple of reasons. As we all know, Blog Talk Radio actually emailed me at exactly 10.57 to inform me that their complete infrastructure crashed. Also, to make matters worse, not only did their regular infrastructure crash, but their backup infrastructure crashes as well. So doing the show last week was a very, very trying experience for all parties involved. Obviously, it made it difficult to take calls. It made it difficult to do a lot of things. But I will say that, you know, we toughed it out. We did a really good show. And our Mixler audience was definitely a lot higher given, you know, the better the better quality audio. Not to mention the fact that, obviously, uh, the Mixler service was just working better than Blog Talk Radio. Shortly afterwards, I believe it was... Later on that Friday or Saturday, we got a letter, an email from the CEO of Blog Talk Radio, you know, apologizing. And they said that it was a DDoS attack that caused, you know, the majority of the issues and that they're working on rectifying them, blah, blah, blah. You know, the usual stuff. Now, I'm a little I'm a little frustrated because when something like this happens as a business owner myself and even as just someone who's who's been part of a company for many years, we always find ways to, you know, make amends or do something right for our customers to ensure that, you know, they 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 feel comfortable when mishaps like this happen knowing that will that they'll be taken care of. We didn't get anything. We were just told, "Hey, you know, the shit broke and we're sorry." That's it. No free month, no, you know, no enhanced feature, something, anything to make amends, which 
you know, it it bothers me because we pay for this service. You know, my and my take radio pays to use Blog Talk Radio, and it's you know it's a decent amount of money when you factor in how much it costs for a year. And like I've said, you know, we've been looking at other outlets and other things to consider, including um, you know, Spreaker and maybe just taking calls in through Skype, even though Slick wouldn't be able to to screen them. We're 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 looking at a couple of different options and quite honestly it's it's you know it's a little it's a little frustrating like I said because we have this you know this this just menagerie of bullshit which which bothers me to no end because like I said it's it's a service that we pay for and for the infrastructure to crash again things happen I understand that but you know just not getting a an apology or an acknowledgement of of something that you know we can just soften the blow a bit and it's funny because a lot of my fellow broadcasters on Blog Talk Radio, their shows got cut off midstream. They couldn't schedule. Uh, their recordings were lost. One of the things, and this is just a little inside for you guys, is the fact that we record the shows to an external recorder. So at any time, you know, if Blog Talk Radio cuts off, Skype cuts off, whatever the case may be, we actually have the recording on a, on a piece of hardware and we just edit that stuff out. That's usually how it works. This week, we're trying out again the Blog Talk Radio Direct Connect feature, which last week, minus the issues that they were having, worked pretty well. I wasn't worried about any, any calls being dropped or any of that stuff. And according to them, it's supposed to yield better audio quality. This is still up in the air, but... For those of you that are getting the show exclusively through Blog Talk Radio, I definitely would love to hear from you either via email or, um, you know, Facebook or Twitter just to find out if the audio quality is significantly better since switching to this direct connect functionality. Anyway, a couple of other things I wanted to get out of the way. Our Facebook fan page, as always, continues to grow leaps and bounds. Definitely want to take a moment and acknowledge the brand new people that have signed up, definitely welcome to the page. I'm glad you guys stopped through, and I hope you are enjoying all our offerings. Of course, myself, Andrea, and Slick run the Facebook fan page behind the scenes, um, and it's it's you know it's something that's uh, that's growing, and it's something that we enjoy uh, nurturing, especially after the demise of our forums. Just real quick, I see a lot of people are coming into the uh, Blog Talk Radio chat. If you want to listen to the Mixler feed, it's M-I-X-L-R dot com forward slash My Take Radio. You can use that if you don't want to use the Blog Talk Radio audio. Just uh, for those of you that are looking for the Mixler link, you can use that. Also, just a quick reminder, if you're calling in and you don't want to come on air, but you want to listen to the show, the call in number is 347-324-3541. All right. So as I was saying, you know, our Facebook page is growing quite a bit. We're also starting to get a lot more people on Google Plus. Um, I've been dealing with some trouble with that because I've been really trying to get our posts from the site to post to the My Take Radio um, page on Google Plus and not to my personal profile on Google Plus. So it's a little bit of work in progress, but we're trying to do more stuff. We're doing more stuff with Instagram as well and some of the other Uh, social media networks just to give you guys different ways to keep up with us so again those of you that are following us through all these accounts we really appreciate it same thing with those of you that are checking in on get glue because i get all the tweets when you guys check in um our mtr beyond the mic and our mtr behind the mic have been well received by you guys um devin gamble from this week in the cinema for behind the mic 
And for Beyond the Mic, uh, Jesse Johnson, the director of the Wonder Woman fan film, he, um, you know, he was very happy to hear that so many people were really digging the interview. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where same thing with Devin. I know she shared it and a couple of people were retweeting it, including the guys from Punching the Walls of Reality. So thanks to those guys for tuning in and checking the interview out as well. We're going to try and do more of those in the coming weeks once we get a couple of different guests lined up. I know a lot of you guys want to um, see certain people behind the mic and also beyond the mic, and we're going to try and accommodate those as well. All right, so tonight's topics, Ben's going to be joining me. We're going to talk a little about UFC 159. We're also going to talk about the UFC on Fox card, which was tremendous. Also, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the news for MMA this week. Of course, we got Raw, we got TNA Impact, we got your gaming news, we got your movie news this week as usual. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk about something that a lot of people kind of reached out to me after last week, and that was uh, my opinions on the Boston bombing and the slacktivism that was pretty much running wild last week. And the crazy thing is that shortly after we got off air, the... Boston bomber Tamerlan, uh, the older brother, was killed shortly after we got off air. And then right after that, you know, the following day, they ended up bagging the younger brother. And, you know, people rejoiced, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, a lot of crazy news are coming out, including that those guys were planning on coming down here to New York and starting shit in Times Square, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, couple of people reached out and via different outlets and, and in person for those people that I know off air. And they were just like, you know, you were, you were, you were very angry about that stuff last week, but they understood where I was coming from. And a lot of people were, were confused as to, you know, my, my frustrations. And the crazy thing is just to, just to elaborate a little bit without getting too crazy. Um, I have no problem with people being proud of where they're from or, where they live or whatever, that's that's people's prerogative. It is what it is. Me personally, I've been a New Yorker all my life. I've lived in different parts of New York. I was born in, in one part of New York, that being the Bronx. I lived in the Bronx till I was about 14, um, moved out to, to Queens, which is, you know, closer to Long Island. And, um, you know, I lived out here another, another 15 years. So I've been well-traveled. I, I was born in, in, in the Bronx and lived a little bit in Manhattan. So I've been in every borough to some degree. And honestly, I I've always felt that borough pride or stuff like that for me personally is just underrated or not underrated, excuse me, overrated because it doesn't matter. You know, you, we all live in New York city. It doesn't matter which part specifically you're from, but it's the same thing with um, a couple of people who reached out to me that lived in Boston. They were like, Hey man, you know, I understood where you were coming from. And it was kind of, it was kind of weird the people that, you know, they don't, they don't say a single thing about Boston. They were repping it hard, blah, blah, blah. And, and they understood where I was coming from. And I wanted to kind of acknowledge that as well, because right now we, we caught these guys, you know, these guys got caught in Boston last week. And, um, you know, when we reached, when this week started, uh, you know, the New York Knicks were playing, the Boston Celtics and Facebook changed It changed from, you know, I love Boston to, you know, fuck Boston, blah, blah, blah. Cause you know, Nick fans and sports or whatever, but it's, it's how crazy and how fickle people can be, you know? And that's, that's really what my, my frustrations were from last week. It was just 
the fickleness of people and the and the quote unquote, you know, activism of people, you know, these social activists that they, they'll retweet, they'll repost and all this stuff, but they, they've never done a single thing. And that's that's where all of my anger stemmed from. And some people may have wanted clarification. Some people didn't. But I figured I'd come on air this week and share that with you guys, because that's where it all comes from. It's just, you know, the bullshit, you know, the, the, the these guys talking about all this stuff or, you know, share this picture. This puppy will get a home. No, 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 no. The dog will get a home when 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 you go and adopt it or, you know, when when you bring the dog home, et cetera, et cetera. You know, just just typical BS. And I'm not going to beat it up because, like I said, last week I just went hard. But I, I wanted to acknowledge that a little bit. The other thing I did want to talk about, and this is, again, you know, some of Rich's real world stories. I wanted to talk about this very, very interesting issue with. My house, which um, I figured I'd share with you guys briefly, as we all know, the housing market across the country took a tremendous hit and it's slowly coming back, slowly coming back. So I initially was trying to sell my house for, for a couple of years and I started my house substantially higher at the time. And, you know, I was, offers were coming in, people were coming to see it, but it just it just didn't go according to plan. And of course, when the bubble burst, I had to drop the price and we, I got some gems coming in. So anyway, I decided not to put the house up on the market until after I get married because, you know, it's, it's, I, I can't multitask to that, to, you know, to that level. I can't do the show, work, uh, go to the gym, do all this stuff, manage the site and worry about showing the house. It's just, there's not enough hours in the day. Anyway, um, lady calls me up and she's like, Oh yeah, you know, I, I know your house was for sale. You took it off the market, blah, blah, blah. So she says, oh, I'm interested in finding out if you're going to put the house back up. And I'm like, yeah, probably not till later on this year. So she's like, well, you know, it's a, it, the, the market's improving, blah, blah, blah. Typical real estate spiel. So she was just like, oh, how much were you looking for? So, you know, I gave her the number and she's like, yeah, well, you know, that number, it, it's it's a little high. And I said, listen, let's let's not let's not shit each other. You want the house priced in a way that it'll sell fast for you to get commission. I get that. But I need fucking money, lady. And she was just like, yeah, but, you know, you can't expect it to be both ways. And I'm like, so let me get this straight. I got to sell my house to ensure that you get paid. And the fate of my family and myself is, you know, inconsequential because you got your commission. Get the fuck out of here. It was it was probably one of the most cringeworthy conversations because everything that came out of out of the lady's mouth just dug her hole deeper everything everything from you know why i didn't sell what the asking for everything just shot herself in the foot to the point where i was just like listen i don't think it's gonna work out with us even if i do decide to relist my house because you don't have my interests in mind the only interests you have in mind are your own to ensure that you get maximum commission and it was it was like i said just an incredibly cringeworthy conversation and i know a lot of you guys have experienced this where um you know you get in there and you're in a conversation and you can't get out of the conversation like it's inescapable, like swimming through quicksand. That's the kind of shit I was dealing with. Just, you know, just trying to hang up. And she was like, oh, but, you know, while I have you on, I wanted to ask you about that. And it was just like, finally, I, I just had to come out of character and be like, listen, it's not going to work. Honestly, your approach stinks. That's pretty much what I said. I'm like, your approach stinks and your interests are seem to be before my own. And if that's the case, you know what? 
How about you just buy my house and give me what I want and you can burn it if you want and, and claim the insurance. And she was just like, Oh no, no, no. And I was just like, well, you know, I don't think we should just continue speaking. I just hung up. I ended up just abruptly pressing call end. And it's funny because I have the, the note too. And I didn't have my Bluetooth on and I'm holding the phone to my face. And if you guys have seen the note too, the note too is the size of a, it, it's a, it's a fairly large phone. It's it, not, it's not, you know, a seven inch iPad mini, but it's fairly large. And that shit was hot as hell. My, my cheek was sweating from this old lady, you know, this, this old thick accented lady just, just killing me on the phone. Oh, it was, it was God awful. But I figured I'd share that with you guys, because if there's any of you out there that are contemplating getting a house or, or selling or in that market, do your fucking homework. Cause there's way too many scumbags out there. Simple as that. Anyway, see, not too bad this week. Not too much rage. Um, anyway, we got a lot of MMA to discuss. I know Ben will probably be calling in shortly, and we're going to get right into it. Uh, just a, before we get into it, a quick reminder that MMA is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get all your favorite MMA gear at MMAWarehouse.com. You can also check out the banner on MyTakeRadio.com. Click that if you want to bag some fighter shirts, rash guards, fight shorts, any MMA gear. Obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's an affiliate banner that let's not kid ourselves and it helps us out again, nothing crazy. If you're going to pick up some MMA gear, go through our banner for MMA warehouse. It helps us out. And, um, you know, it allows us to upgrade all of our equipment and do some really cool stuff for you guys. All right. Without further ado, let's talk some MMA. All right, so let me bring Ben on. I just found out that he is in the queue. I see that um, I think him and Slick are in the screening room. So once that little yellow light goes off, I'll bring Ben on. I did want to say before I brought him, brought Ben on that I'm shocked he didn't call in last week because last week's, you know, there were, there were, there were some MMA news last week that I definitely would have wanted his take on. But I also knew that Ben was going to call in this week because it is fight week. UFC 159 in Jersey. UFC took over Macy's Herald Square and the Herald Square area yesterday, and it was um, it was on and popping. And a couple of guys that I know, they got to meet Ronda Rousey. They got to meet a couple of fighters. I was I was stuck at work. I was hating a little bit, so kind of sucked. Um, I couldn't even go to the Fightland launch party, which was crazy. They had a Ghostface Killer concert, and um, it was it was a crazy day yesterday. One thing I do got to say before I bring Ben on. Um, we are going to give away a month of Xbox live later on today. Um, Microsoft's big sports weekend is this weekend. They're giving away some MMA fights for free, some MLB games for free on your Xbox. And because of that, we are going to be giving away one month of Xbox live. So we will probably be doing that on the fan page shortly after the show is over. And we're also going to do some giveaways for some DVDs as well, including red versus blue and some Digimon DVD box sets that I have in the MTR prize closet. So with that, let me bring Ben in and let's get this show on the road. Ben, what's up, dude? What's up, man? Not too much. Things, things have gotten a little crazy in the, in the MMA universe between, you know, UFC 159 GSP talking about that. He doesn't want to fight rounds anymore and he wants to fight for 15 minutes straight. Oh, it's been a crazy week. 
Oh, dude, I read that. I'm like, yo, I, I understand GSP. You know, you're you're a badass dude, and you could probably smash me within an inch of my life, but really? Yeah, I'm going to fight for 15 minutes straight. I don't care how conditioned you are. You will be dead. Yeah, that didn't even make... When I read that, it didn't make any sense to me, so... <laughs> Just GSP being super reckless. So, let's... Because he knows no one's going to, like... Do it. Yeah, who's going to, con- and not only that, but who's going to contest him? Who's going to be like, George, stop talking shit. Come on, he's one of the highest paid, he's one of the highest paid guys in the game. Nobody's going to say that. they be like, yeah, okay, George, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, I saw him on Joe Rogan's show, yeah. and, and you know, he would, Joe Rogan was talking to him, and you could see Joe Rogan was just respecting his gangster, like, yeah, okay, man, whatever you say. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the only way you can handle that situation. So UFC on Fox Seven was tremendous, and there's a lot of there's a lot of fights I, I want to get into. I do want to talk about this prelim fight with uh, Yoel Romero and Clifford Starks with a disgusting flying knee KO. It was so sweet; it looked like something like Sagat from Street Fighter. Yeah, that 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 um, flying knee was probably the most flush flying knee I've seen land in the cage. It, it landed clean. It just it, it was nasty. Yeah, I don't. And, and you know what was funny? It was. Do you know how sometimes you see the knee, and it's usually like the bottom of the knee that brushes a guy's jaw. This was flat on kneecap to face. Yeah, he timed it perfectly. I mean, he he he, he caught him right in the jaw and knocked him straight out. It was it was beautiful for someone that big, especially. Yeah, it's it, it's crazy because, you know, the, when I saw it, I had to rewind it twice because the way it looked was so, it was like you blinked and it was over. Yeah, I mean, that's, for for, some, for Joe Romero, I mean, it's crazy because this dude is, I think, like a 35 ex-Olympic wrestler, and he's like throwing flying knees, like, it's, it's crazy. Meanwhile... Roger Bowling did not fare so well. <laughs> Another guy, Anthony and Jaquani just put him to sleep. I was like, oh, my God. You know, it was crazy because Bowling, Bowling started showing some, some signs of brilliance in the first round. He caught him with that hard body shot. But as soon as he went in, that left hook, and it was it was good night. Yeah, basically, it looked like Jaquani kind of caught his timing. And from there, he was just picking him apart. And then Roger Bowling got... It looked like he got frustrated and just ran into a hook. Yeah, it's crazy because in, in Roger Bowling's case, it's like it's like this isn't your first rodeo. So you know, it, it, it's probably exactly what you said. He got the timing down pat, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, and Jukawani is a excellent, excellent striker. I mean, you know, you you know what you're going to get with. Him. He's not going to stop you from taking him down, probably. But while you're on the feet, he could probably beat you up because he's a he's just an excellent striker. Yeah, he's he's a tremendous, tremendous athlete, and it, and the the string of just impressive TKOs continued. TJ uh, Dillashaw and Hugo Viana, same thing. Just just three KO TKO finishes at the start. You know, just from from the prelims right into the the FX bouts. Bodies everywhere, like I said in my post. Yep, bodies it, everywhere. <laughs> it was it was amazing. And then you know Jorge Masvidal. A lot of people are like, "Oh man, you know he came in and he kind of slowed up the tempo a little bit." But 
people fail to realize it's like, yo, this dude is fighting on the big stage and he's got to be nervous and he's trying not to get caught out there. Like a lot of these guys do. They come in, they get the octagon hype, they do something crazy and then it, they become a highlight reel for the dude they're fighting. Yeah. Plus Tim Means is not a scrub. Like Tim Means is a good fighter and Jorge Masvidal did a really good job. Uh, I I didn't think that fight was boring. It just wasn't a knockout like the rest of them. Oh, no, absolutely not. And and the crazy thing was, too, that, that Masvidal was showing some, some awesome striking, especially in that in that second round, just raining down elbows from top position, you know, chipping away at him, putting in that work. Looked really good in that second round. Yeah. I mean, he, he looked good overall. His wrestling, his wrestling looked good. His uh, striking looked good. He had a pretty good performance. And once again, Team Alpha Male, man, Joe Benavides, Jesus, another 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 guy. These I, I don't know what they're what they're feeding these guys over there in the Alpha Male camp. <laughs> yeah, that um, it Darren you uh, you I, I can't even say, say Uyanoyama, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he seemed outmatched. Uh, it didn't look like he really had anything for Joseph Benavides, and it was kind of um a matter of time before he got knocked out, and that was a nasty body shot that ended. Oh, he crumpled that, dude. I was like, oh, my God. But, you know, it's crazy because then you close it out with with Miles Jury. Oh, my God, dude. It was like when when he dropped Ramsey in the gym, it was like, Good. It was it was legit. Good night, Irene. In in the words of Michael Schiavello, I was like, oh my god. Yeah, that was a nasty knockout. That actually made Sports Center's top ten plays that night. It did, huh? Yeah, I think it was like play number eight or something like that. Like, I mean, it it made top ten plays. <laughs> that's crazy, dude. Because, it, it, and you know, it's good for MMA for that, but that's that's madness. Honestly, that wasn't even the best knockout on that card. I was surprised that that was the one that made it, but <laughs> well, at least they made one. Francis Carmont, Lorenz Larkin. I really thought Larkin was going to take this fight. Not to say that I dislike Francis Carmont, but he never really showed me anything, and I was really torn with this fight because I really thought Larkin looked really good in that second and third round. I think I, I think the judging was really suspect. Larkin in the third round, he tried that that triangle armbar, and yeah, you know, Carmont used it to slide to to get side control, but still, you know, Larkin was was killing the offense from bottom position, even going for a Kimura, and swept to top position. For me, Larkin won all three rounds. <laughs> uh, you, if I'm scoring a fight, you don't get points for trying to take someone down and failing yep. miserably and then getting kicked in the leg for a restaurant. Like, it just, I, I didn't understand what these judges saw, that it can be three straight judges to give Francis Carmon the three rounds or two rounds. It was ridiculous to me. It just, he wasn't doing anything to win that fight. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't understand what the judges were seeing. I gotta give I gotta give a shout out though to Lorenz Larkin for trying a cartwheel kick. <laughs> yeah, he, he tried a lot of things. He tried like a weird like spinning heel kick to the leg. I mean, he was just doing a lot of really creative kicks. Well, we go from like I said a slow a slow pace fight 
back to another murder death kill with Darren Elkins and Chad Mendes. Oh man, dude. I was like I was like I was like, yo, it's 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 a it's a long night for these guys. I thought Darren Elkins would be able to give him a better fight than that, and he got mashed. Um it it, it that was brutal. <laughs> Well, you know what was what was crazy was the fact that you know Mendes comes in and you know he's a guy that's uh, that he has tremendous potential, shades of brilliance, and he always gives solid fights. So I knew it was gonna be it was gonna be good, but I I didn't think it would just be so so quick. Yeah, I mean I, I thought he would win, but I thought it would be by decision, and for him to like catch him with that punch and then put him out like that, it was just it, it was just shocking. <laughs> Well, moving into into the main card, man, Matt Brown has been on a fucking tear, dude. I don't understand why nobody's showing him no love at 170, besides the fact that Jordan Mean punched himself in the face in that fight. I saw that. Um, <laughs> regardless, that was, that was a fun back-and-forth fight. I mean, no one's going to really remember that Jordan Mean had some great moments where he crumpled over the body shot and and everything else, but Matt Brown is a savage. Like, he gives you no space, and he's, just, he's on top of you, just beating you. It's, it's He's a savage, man. I don't, I don't understand, and I was dumbfounded when I saw that, because, of course, somebody gifted like an hour later. I'm like, yo, how do you punch yourself in the face? Like, legit, full-on force punching yourself in the face. I was like, oh, what happened? Yeah, yeah that, that, was, that, was, that was strange looking. <laughs> well, you know, I, Matt Brown, the, the beauty of his, of his style was the fact that even when the fight went to the ground and he looked like he was in a little bit of trouble, he tried to get the triangle in. He was, he was, looking, he was looking nasty in that round, even from the bottom. And, you know, the crazy thing is he had to win that fight decisively because you know how judges are to be like oh this dude on the bottom he's losing and he was he was beasting from the bottom like jordan mean had nothing for him yeah i mean that that like, like i said like matt brown is brutal i mean even he, like he had been hurt on the way to the ground and for him to be able to destroy those submissions and do everything he was doing i mean it was crazy <laughs> Well, of course, history was made in the Nate Diaz-Josh Thompson fight. And um, Josh Thompson secured the victory by TKO. And the, the funny thing is, when you, were in your, in your, when you wrote your article and you were talking about, you know, the, car, the shades of Carlos Condit, Nate Diaz, I, I have a nagging suspicion Josh Thompson watched that fight and just used that fight as his game plan. Because it was way too academic. Way too academic, but... I will say this, the durability of the Diaz brothers, for you to get rattled the way he got rattled, because it was funny when when Josh Thompson caught him and he hit him, he did that little Glass Joe shuffle, like in Punch-Out, and I was like, oh shit, he got him, and then that, that when he finished him, I was I was done, I lost, I was like, oh! <laughs> yeah, it's, um, the Diaz brothers are great fighters, they, they are, but it's been figured out what what they do. If you are a um, a uh, disciplined striker, you will be able to do what Carlos Condit and Josh Thompson was able to do. Now the knockout is a whole other issue. Yep. Like, I don't think they're going to get knocked out very often. But but what he was able to do with the switching of the footwork, 
not getting drawn into brawling with them, um, kind of mixing up with your takedowns, do a lot of kicks, um, don't get caught up against the cage. You you can beat them. And, and you know, Josh Thompson, I mean, and, and that wasn't even the first kick that hit Nate Diaz. Like, he ate the first one, like, in the first round. Oh, yeah, that was beautiful, dude. So, he ate it, and he just looked at him like, dude, I eat those. Like, I was like, oh. Yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy, these dudes' chin. So, I mean, he, Nate Diaz, you know, I think, I think, first of all, I don't think he should move back to 170. I think that would be incredibly stupid. Yep. But, um. He got eaten alive. That he, he just, he just got his, um. He just got beat in this fight. I mean, everybody gets caught. It just happens. Well, I will say, I will say this: the the thing that got me was the fact that, and I wanted your thoughts on this about Diaz's corner throwing in the towel. I think what, it was Nick that actually threw it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the corner, you know, like 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 the towel getting thrown in from the Diaz corner. What'd you think of that? Considering that I think that was the first time I've ever seen the towel thrown in in the UFC. Would you did you feel that that was the or the right course of action since Nate wasn't going to give up? Like was Diaz was Nick just trying to do the right thing for his brother, or was it just he got caught out there? Uh, I personally don't mind they uh, people throwing it out. I think Nick threw in the towel. Um, he didn't think that Nate was going to stop trying to fight. So I think he's doing the towel um, to kind of just be like, look, okay, let's let's go ahead and end this fight. And I don't even think it really had any any effect on what happened in the fight because um, I don't think the ref even saw it. But I don't know. It's um, I mean, he, I don't know. I have no problem with him throwing in the fight. It um, it was it wasn't really necessary, but I have no problem with him throwing it though. Yeah, I think I think the problem with it was too, and and I respect that man. I think Nick was like Nate's gonna try and be a, a hard ass, and he's hurt. Like you know, like like I respect that because it's like a lot of people give the Diaz brothers shit about you know these dudes, they tough dudes, they punks, whatever. But these guys are warriors. These guys are are warriors from the old school, which is bell rings. I hate your fucking guts. Bell rings. We cool. Yeah, I mean that's that's the best way to describe them. Um, because they they always like if you if you ever watch it, they always like pick up their opponent and dust them off after the fight. Yep. They lose a draw. So, um, I don't know. I mean, it, it was crazy to see him get knocked out, but good on Josh Thompson, man. Good, good for Josh Thompson. Well, I was gonna say this: if let's say if Nate Diaz moves up to one seventy, you think Nick should move up to eighty five? No. Um, just because I don't think they will be anywhere near each other as far as rankings, because I don't think Nate is as good as a welterweight as Nick. Like Nate, Nate is a really, really undersized welterweight, and I, I don't think, I don't think he would ever have to cross paths with Nate. Well, I'm only saying it because you know Nate, Nate may want to crack at GSP, and Nick may want to crack at Anderson. You know. I don't think Nate would win enough to get a crack. <laughs> Damn, dude! <laughs> like, nope. I mean, he's just a really undersized, um, welterweight. I mean, he 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 is a one. He's a hundred fifty five. He's a lightweight. 
Yeah, it was, it, you know, it, it's crazy because in, D, in Nate Diaz's case, you know, I think Nate Diaz would pro- could probably cut to 145. Yeah, that's what I was actually thinking about when I heard that. Like, I think that he possibly could. Yep, he'd make a solid 145-er. Yeah, I think he could um, and and do some good things there. But 170 is not what he needs to be. Dude, a a Nate Diaz-Uriah Faber fight would be sick, dude. Oh yeah, that would be dope. <laughs> <laughs> that that do that fight in Cali. Oh, dude, that'd just be swimming in money over there. Yeah, that, that would be dope. <laughs> so, of course, we went from that to Cormier versus Frank Mayer, which was 15 minutes of me yelling at the television for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I hate the the analogy of well, we'll see which Frank Mayer shows up. It's just like. It doesn't matter which Frank Mayer shows up. You either win or you lose. You're still going to be Frank Mayer. You're not going to be, you know, 155-pound Frank Mayer and 250-pound Frank Mayer. It's just Frank Mayer. But I hate that analogy because it's like you really make it seem like the dude is a complete clown. And it's just like, yo, he, he was a little reckless. But now this is a guy that broke Nogueira's fucking arm on television. He always yeah. that dude always he's shows up. <laughs> he's a very good fighter. He's, he he'll never be champion again, but he's he's a very very good fighter. I mean, there's very few. He might be the best submission artist that ever has fought at one or two um at uh, at heavyweight. I mean, he just might be. And in this fight, though, it wasn't like super exciting or anything. Uh, Daniel Cormier did what he needed to do in this fight. Uh, oh, he tried. Wasn't trying to get caught out there either, I, but it, not not to cut you off. But I was, yeah. I was just frustrated because Mir wasn't trying to take the fight to the ground either, and that's what got me. I'm like, okay, you want to stand? It's like DC will stand with you, but it's like, dude, you're a ground guy. Like, why weren't you transitioning from striking to the ground? Like, I thought he may have got hurt, but it was, it was. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous the way it went. And, and, you know, Daniel Cormier did the right thing, man. He applied pressure. He kept the pressure on. He used that Randy Couture, you know, brawl in the corner. A lot of a lot of the fence work. And it's just like Frank Mir circled into the fence every time. Like, yeah, I'm just going to circle into the fence. Like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, I really had no idea what Frank Mir's game plan was actually in that. Like, outside of throwing, like, some kicks. He really didn't do anything else but get pressed up against the cage and beat up. Yep, and he and he wasn't even throwing kicks like that. Like I said, all right, maybe he got hurt, but it's like he wasn't even throwing kicks, and he was he was catching him with the kicks. And not only that, but it's like I understand, you know, Daniel Cormier slams dudes like Josh Barnett, but it's like Frank Mayer was like two sixty for that fight. It's like yo, you are you are like yeah, thirty I, I pounds heavier. You're like 30 pounds heavier. You could have bullied him to the ground and tried submissions. Don't get me wrong. I was pulling for DC to win because I like him, and he's a, he's a great ambassador for, for wrestling, especially with everything going on with the Olympics. But it's like Frank Mir gave that fight away. Yeah, I, I didn't see. I, I, I couldn't tell what Frank Mir's game plan was in the, at any point in that fight. It, it, was, it was 15 minutes of Herb Dean going, you guys better work. You guys better work. Show me something. You guys better work. Show me something. It's like, yo, when Herb Dean is yelling at you that y'all are fighting like shit, 
That's a problem. And I don't blame DC yeah, um, because DC wasn't trying to get caught out there. It's fine. Frank me is the guy that had that had to, you know, quote unquote show up for this fight. Yeah, I mean and, and, and I kind of feel like if Frank Mir had pushed the pace a little bit more that maybe um DC would have opened up a little bit more. But, yep. But that's how the fight went. Uh DC won. DC's probably moving down to two oh five. And Frank Mir probably, I don't know who that'll give Frank Mir next, but um, it wasn't the greatest fight in the night of good fights. Not for nothing, I wouldn't mind seeing a Frank Mir Overeem fight. Yeah, um, that wouldn't be a bad fight. If um, he gets past uh, KDS, or even if he loses, that would be a really good fight. Yep, Frank, Frank Mir and Overeem would be good because, see, Frank Mir wants to go out there and show people he got hands. And that's all Greg Jackson's shit. Go out there and show him your hands. And it's like, all right, yeah, that's great. But it's like, this dude broke Noguera's arm. Like, his jujitsu is not to be trifled with. And he kills me, dude. He was doing the George Gurgel. It's like, yo, how are you a beast on the ground? And you're just like, yeah, I'm going to stand. I think one of the problems, especially in that fight, is he wasn't going to take Daniel Cormier. Like, I don't see how you conceivably were going to take him down. So oh, no. One of the problems. Okay. I, I think one of the problems with that fight is and in the game plan with Greg Jackson, I think there might have been a game plan to throw these kicks and hope DC takes you down and then you can work off your back because you're not taking him down. Yeah, but you know what? When the, when they were when they were scrambling, when they were doing the scramble up against the cage, it's like Frank Mayer, you're a bigger dude. Why don't you pull guard? Yeah, that probably would. You are I, I you're know. thirty pounds heavier, Frank dude. Frank you're thirty pounds heavier. Gravity would have helped you. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what Frank Mayer's game plan was. So, of course, the the war of wars. Ben Henderson, man, he loves himself some scraps, dude. Five rounds of just just war back and forth. And you know what? It's funny because Gilbert Melendez, I you know, I've always been I've always had a love hate relationship with that dude because, you know, he, he's just a love or hate kind of a guy. But the fact is that he went out there and he was like, Listen, I am the best lightweight on the planet. Period. And I'ma show you guys why. And not for nothing, they, they, these guys had some great exchanges. And even walking away from this fight as the loser, I can say, yo, Gilbert Melendez is is you know definitely top lightweight in the in the world because he took it to Ben Henderson, took it to him. I actually believe that he is the best because I've watched this fight three separate times. Um, I watched it once with some friends here. I watched it the next day, and then I watched it again today with like with the sound off, and just watched it, um, just watched it without commentary. Right. And watching it without commentary, I believe that Gilbert Melendez won run round one, two, three, and five. I can see that. Like I, I didn't see outside of round four what offense Ben Henderson really appreciable offense he really put up. And, and I don't think this was a robbery by any means. Nope. But I, I just don't think Ben Henderson won. <laughs> well, I got a question for you. How do you feel about the the revelation that one of the judges is a Caesar uh, is a Gracie Jiu Jitsu affiliate? 
I don't think it's as big as a deal as people have said it was, just because he's a Caesar Gracie's affiliate, but there's a there's a very good chance that he has never met Gilbert Melendez because, like the Diaz brothers, they are always at the Caesar Gracie gym. Uh, Gilbert Melendez and Big Shields have their own gyms. Like I think Gilbert Melendez changes like San Francisco or something. Right. So they got their own gyms. They don't really train at Caesar Gracie all the time. So I don't think that really has any um, bearing on the fight. Okay, I figured I'd ask because everybody had conflicting things. Honestly, I didn't. That didn't weigh in on the decision at all. I thought Ben Henderson looked really good, and I I could I could have said. Ben Henderson took the fight, like, you know, based on some of the rounds. And I could say Gilbert took it some of the rounds because they both had strong cases. I was split even afterwards because I'm like, damn, that fight could go either way. And it's funny because Ben Henderson is a, a, a phenomenal athlete, dude. This guy, every, what is his last three fights have just been all five rounders just going out there having wars. I mean, he, he is a very, very, very good fighter, but you can also arguably make the case that he's one in three in his last four fights. This is true. Frankie beat him both times. Yeah, well, Frankie, Frank, in Frankie's case, it was, it was, you know, in Frankie's case, it, it boiled down to, dude, you got, you got power in your hands. You're gonna have to knock this dude out. Like that's how that's what's gonna happen yep. with Ben Henderson because Ben Henderson's gonna be flashy. He's gonna be, he's gonna be good. And then it's it, it's all a matter of he wasn't even like really using his wrestling in this fight. He was using a lot of a lot of standing attacks, a lot of feints, some not, trying to get the Muay Thai in there, and, and he he looked tremendous. But eventually, and it's going to be sooner rather than later, somebody's going to figure him out. And I'll tell you what: if Jose Aldo makes that jump to fifty five, you know that that belt that Ben Ben Henderson may get that belt taken off of him real quick. Yeah, I, I personally think Jose Aldo would be able to beat him just on the fact that he, he hits harder than other people. And I think one of the main reasons that Ben Henderson wins these fights is he kind of has a flashy uh, flashy kind of uh, judge-friendly offense. Yes, yes, he does. He, sh- he shows shades of brilliance. Jose Aldo, he's just going to leg kick you really, really hard and beat you up. Like, he he's not... You're you're not going to be able to throw those kicks and stuff against Jose Aldo. Nope, not in the least. And the crazy thing with that also is the fact that in Jose Aldo's case, he's going to be the guy that's going to push the pace against Ben Henderson. Like Ben Henderson likes to push the pace, kind of use the corners, work the angles. Jose Aldo straighten your face all the way through. Like there's no there's no I'm going to back up and set up my attacks. It's I'm going to go in there full bore and I'm going to go for those low leg kicks with full hip with full hip turn and I'm just going to turn your leg into hamburger meat. Yeah, that's that's what you got to fight a Ben Henderson. You have to be your your offense have to be just as appreciable as his. I think the main reason Frankie Edgar left in his fights is Frankie Edgar isn't when he hits you he's not he's not moving you. When nope. Ben Henderson hits you there's like movement. It looks hard. And I think that's what the main issue was with the Ben Henderson fight. Well, Frankie Edgar is also more methodical. You know what I mean? Like he likes to set, he likes to hit, reset, hit, reset. Like it's not like, not to say that he doesn't, but in a lot of fights you notice that he doesn't really put the foot to the gas when he sees an opening. 
he kind of he's a little tentative because, you know, he doesn't want to get caught, which is fine. And it's not like, yo, I'm going to come in there. I'm just going to decimate this guy. Yeah, Frank Eggers is a, a, a value fighter. That's just what he is. Right. Well, switching switching gears from the card, of course, um, $50,000 bonuses were handed out. Josh Thompson, Yoel Romero each took knockout of the night. I think they should have given almost all of those guys bonuses. Um <laughs> Matt Brown and Jordan Mean, of course, fight of the night. I thought they were going to give fight of the night to Henderson and um, Melendez. I was shocked. I mean, the Matt Brown and, and Jordan Mean fight was good, too. They were just probably trying to find some some kind of way to give a bonus to Matt Brown. Of course. So, of course, right after that, Dana White said that the winner of TJ Grant and Gray Maynard would fight Ben Henderson. Dude, I'm sorry. It's like Gray Maynard's a great athlete. I just, I just can't watch the dude. I can't. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I think maybe it's his lackadaisical I'm... approach to to fights. Like, yeah, you know, and it's just like, ugh, you know, like I'm like, fuck. That's what I gotta deal with. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. I'm actually interested to see if Gray Maynard wins. If he would be able to take Ben Henderson down and hold him there. Yeah, I don't know about that. Win that way. Um, no, I, I, I don't know if he would be able to because there's a very good chance to me that Ben Henderson will just be faster than him and be able to leg kick yep. him and stuff from the outside. I, I, there's a very good chance of that. But I will, I'm, I'm just interested to see how that will fight with look. Well, I'm also intrigued to see what Ben Henderson's submission game looks like. Well, I've, I mean, the fights I've seen him do it. I mean, he tapped out Donald Cerrone. Yep. I think he's the only person to ever tap out Donald Cerrone. Uh, he tapped out Jamie Vaughn. I mean, he has some really good guillotines. He just never really showed them. Right, and that's what I'm saying. In a fight with Gray Maynard, you could see that because he could let Gray Maynard get top position and, and, and get get a nice slick guillotine because the, the thing about Ben Henderson also is that he's kind of lanky. You know, he's he's got he's got thin limbs, so he can get in there and get some nasty submissions real quick. Yeah, I, I think like if Greg Manor shoots out from a really long distance or something, like uh, you know, uh, Ben Henderson like catches him and gets him in a guillotine. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that happened. Well, you know, the the crazy thing is that. We got that fight, and Johnny Hendricks pretty much has been all but confirmed to fight GSP because GSP's like on the fence about this uh, super fight with Anderson. You know, Johnny Hendricks is like, oh, well, you know, if he's going to fight Anderson, he should vacate the belt. All this crazy shit. But honestly, GSP, defend the belt against Johnny Hendricks just to shut the dude up. Take that take that Anderson Silva payday and retire. Not, not Don't get me wrong. I, I'd love to see GSP. I'm sure that's what's going to happen. I'd like to see GSP fight for a while, but let's be real, dude. Fight Johnny Hendricks. If you win, do the Anderson Silva fight so he can just get this out of the way. Take your payday because you know you're going to get a nasty payday. And then it's going to be, you know, that then you honestly, dude, with that fight, with the Anderson Silva fight, win or lose, dude, he could retire and just swim in money because he's good with rush fit. You know, he's got his little Captain America gig now. He's all right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm almost a thousand percent sure that that's actually what he's planning on doing. Yep. Like, um, I I just feel like GSP probably has like three, maybe two or three more fights left, and he's done. Um, because he really doesn't have to do it anymore. 
Dude, he was joking and, around. Uh, Go ahead. And, and I, I just don't think, and I don't think he wants to, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I think I think he's at that point where he's he's tired. I think GSP's just tired of dudes always trying to clown him, like using using him as a stepping stone to to become famous. And he's he, he's a very like even though he tries to go out there and be a badass with some of these dudes and and be aggressive, he's a very soft spoken martial artist. Like yeah, GSP's a fighter, but GSP is a martial artist. The dude's a a very laid back zen way of life you know he's just real chill so it's like what am i gonna do talk let this dude talk shit to me this bearded dude then i gotta smash this dude then i gotta hear for the longest about i should fight anderson silva it's like all right i'm gonna fight anderson silva it's like then what what's left it honestly he's got nothing left after that yeah i mean gsp is set up for life gsp doesn't have to fight anymore I think he, I think he's gonna get these last two fights and then just retire. Like there's nothing left for him to prove. Nope, he don't got shit to prove, dude. He could sit back, he could sit back and just be like, yeah, you know, send the ring girls to my crib. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> like he, he's good money. He don't, he don't got it, dude. Especially if he, if he does good with this Captain America gig, and you know he's praying to God that that people watch closely. He's gonna, he's gonna be like, all right, I'm good. Let me do these little Hollywood movies because he's got, you know, he's got he's got leading man looks. He could he could do a couple of little action flicks. Who knows? Everybody, but Bloodstained Lane used to say that GSP should should really try to become a modern day Van Damme, and he would get he would he he, probably could. Yep. I mean, that's probably the next thing he does. And if he doesn't want to do that, he's probably just gonna, at some form or fashion train people or something, you know, he, he's going to end up doing something that makes him happy that he's not going to get punched in the face doing. Well, you know, it was funny. He was joking around cause, and, and a lot of, and of course, you know, a lot of media sites use that as the, as the kind of the death knell for the super fight with Anderson, where he was like, you know, it's, it'd probably be easier for me to cut to 155. And I was laughing. I said, imagine GSP at fit at 155. I said to myself, yo, every dude in 55 would just hang up their, their, their gloves at that point. I First of all, I think I, I know that was a joke because he walks around about 190 pounds. Yep. Probably a little bit bigger. That's, no. <laughs> You're not cutting that much weight. Nope. You know what, though? But, um, it, it, GSP, imagine right. if, just for a second, GSP at 55 would be ridiculous, dude. <laughs> Yeah, it would, it would, I, would, I would love to see him fight guys like Ben Henderson and other dudes like that. I mean, it would be, it would be real fun to see that. Well, you see Ben Henderson, he's like, I'll go up to 170 and five. Of course you will, Ben. Of course you will. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, honestly, honestly, with, with the way the, these things are going, these guys, GSP, honestly, if he went up to 85, fought Anderson for the belt and won it, he could probably swim in money with fights at 85. Because he could get a couple of awesome fights in the 85 without a problem. Yeah, and win them. Yep, and, <laughs> and win them because it's like looking at eighty at 185 and not to even shit on the 185-pound guys, but who's legit going to take it to GSP like that at 85? Maybe Chael if he dropped I'll to 85. Anderson. Anderson or Chael if they drop to 85, maybe Brian Stan. But between you and I, I'd love to see it. And this is just a fanboy of me. Uh, 85 um, GSP and Vanderlei. I don't think 
I, I think GSP would just oh, take he'd kill him. down he, as quickly as possible. Oh, he'd kill him, dude. Don't get me wrong. But imagine imagine just being able to say, yo, I saw GSP fight Vanderlei Silva and Vanderlei retired after that fight. <laughs> that would be fun to say, but I, 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 would, I would love to see it. I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested to see how that fight would look. I'll tell you what. And, and, and before we even talk about 50, 159, I will say this. Regardless of whatever outcome of this, fi- of this fight this weekend, I will not rest until I see Chael Sonnen fight Vanderlei. Because the, beef, the beef is too real. Be the next big money fight that he'll be able to get. Yeah, dude, because the beef is too real. The beef is way too real and way too close to home to just let it rock. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd watch that fight. I'd order that fight in a heartbeat because it's just like, the you know, Chael Sonnen would talk ridiculous amounts of shit, and they'd probably, Dana White would probably need like three dudes to stand between them at the at the press conferences and the weigh-ins. Because, you know, Vandalay's <laughs> a lunatic. He'll go into lunatic mode and be like, look, I'm, I'm just going to stab you at the weigh-ins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be um interesting to see that fight. Um. I would love to see that fight. I want to switch gears a second. Invicta put together their Invicta FC 6 card, of course, Cyborg and and, and Kunin 2 going down July 13th. A little bummed out because the card right now, the main card is Marluz and Cyborg for the featherweight belt. Carla Esparraza is going to defend her her strawweight title. Sarah D'Elio and Lauren Taylor. Leslie Smith is going to be on that card. Uh, Jessica Penny is going to be taking on um, Nigdali Kalanok. Uh, Joanne Calderwood and Claudia Gadela are going to be fighting. Eddie Ann Gomes is going to be taking on Julianne Bud. Beck Hyatt, yeah, this chick has no quit. She's fighting on like every card, uh, taking on Mizuki Inoue. But the thing that bugs me out, Rose Namajunas fighting on the prelims again. It's like, yo, she had a 12-second submission on a chick. And she's on the prelims? What are you doing? <laughs> She's still only, I think she's only 2-0 and so far. I mean, they, I think I think, I think, think they got to build it up a little bit, like get an actual record first before they uh It just tripped me out. Uh, out on the main card. It just tripped me out. I'm like, really? I mean, you know, not Beck Hyatt definitely should be on, on, on the main card and um, definitely Sarah D'Elio, but I'm like, damn, you know, she, she got that little slick submission in. and But then I thought to myself, well, she's kind of, She's being booked at the top of the prelims card, so maybe one more fight and she'll get the bump up to the main card. But I'm like, damn, you know, because she, you know, she's showing tremendous potential, you know. Yeah, I think I think she'll be a really good fighter. I think she'll she'll um, challenge uh, Michelle Watterson for that title at some point. But right now they got to they got to build it up. Yeah, I was I definitely want to see that Marlou's uh, cyborg fight. And not for nothing, I want to see what happens to the ground. I want to see if uh, Marlou's could tap her. Well, the fight has happened before. I, I'd yeah, be well, to see if it that was a mauling. Different. <laughs> that was a juiced mauling, though. Yeah. So, you know, things are a little different now, and I'm curious to see if, if Marlou's could take it to the ground and, and Cyborg can, can you know, weather the storm. Because it's the ground fighting that I'm curious about. Of course, standing. Cyborg, Cyborg is going to take it to practically every chick standing. That's without question. Yeah, I, like I like I'm I'm be interested to see if Marlos can get her down and see what happens. Well, 
that fight I'm actually looking forward to. And, you know, I'm, I'm really, really hoping Invicta gets a TV deal because this iPay-Per-View shit is, is bullshit. They, they need some sort of a TV deal. And, you know, Dana, make it happen. Put them on Fox Sports 1 or some shit. But seriously. <laughs> They'll probably end up on Access TV at some point. I'm, I'm, yeah, it needs to happen because it's just, you know, it's not this this i pay per view. It's good, but it's not getting them the press they need. Yeah, yeah. To tell the truth, I mean, um, they 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 need they need um to get on a TV station because their uh, their uh, i pay per view is not foolproof. <laughs> nah, hell no. And the shit crashes all the time. I'm like, yo, come on. Yeah, it, it happens. Yeah, well, a lot every time I watch it. I wanted to talk a little bit about UFC 159, and and you know, there's been a quick change. Uh, your boy Brian Caraway stepping in for the injured uh, Eric Perez. Eric Perez to take yeah. on Johnny Bedford. So your boy Brian Caraway, uh, two and one in the UFC, is <laughs> taking the fight on short notice. I don't know. You know, the last fight is the, is the last fight on the prelim card. Brian Caraway. Trying to go in there and get famous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to go very well. So not just because I I'm not particularly a fan of Brian Caraway. I, I just think Johnny Bedford's better. Well, going through some of the card, I want to just talk about a couple of things. Leonard Garcia, Cody McKenzie. Leonard Garcia, I respect him for keeping it real, and he was like, "Listen, if I lose this fight, I'm a fire myself." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, probably should have been fired. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, he should win this fight. Cody McKenzie is extremely one-dimensional, and though Leonard Garcia isn't really that dimensional himself, he he should be able to be able to beat uh, Cody McKenzie. Yeah, I, I, it's it's going to be interesting to see. But you know, I respect what he said, man. He's like, yo, if I lose, I'm I'm good because you know it's like some dudes, and we were joking about this. It's like, yo, he know he knows what the deal is, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he should. I mean, he technically should be zero with nine. <laughs> He's zero and four right now, and and um, he needs to win a fight if he wants to remain employed by the UFC. Yep, it's as simple as that. On, on the prelim card, I wanted to pull out this uh, the OSP GM Vilante fight. Um, nice to see o- OSP in the octagon, and um, I, th- I think that th- his fight with GM Vilante is going to be. Very, very interesting. Just because we're we're gonna see a, a nice contrast of styles and OSP. You know, he's got a nice little hype train behind him. So, still from the Strike Force days. So, we'll see. You know, if he adapts well for the big dance. Yeah, it should it should be fun. I, I'm I'm interested to see what he um he does in this fight. Um, he should win. I think he'll win, but it should be a good fight. So, your boy Vinny Magalesh talking about that he wants two refs in there. Cause he's gonna break something on Phil Davis. That's that's what he says verbatim. Like, yo, I need two refs in there because I'm gonna really hurt this dude. What do you think? I'd laugh I if I'd laugh if Phil Davis. I'd, I'd laugh if Phil Davis suplexed him on his fucking head and knocked him out. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a far better chance of Phil Davis doing something to him. Because I mean, not just. He's not a bad fighter. I mean, Vinny Magalhaes is a very good fighter. Yep. But he's not as good as Phil Davis. Nah, Phil, Phil Davis Phil Davis just needs a little bit more seasoning 
and he he's going to be a problem. Like uh, Vinny Magalhaes, yeah, you take him to the ground, he'll tap you in his sleep. But Phil Davis isn't exactly a pushover on the ground either. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a chance that Phil Davis taps him. I mean, <laughs> it, w- it wouldn't surprise me that Phil, if Phil Davis typed him, but Phil Davis is better everywhere except in straight-up jiu-jitsu. And I, I think he'll be able to use his wrestling to beat him. I'll tell you this, that Czech Congo-Roy Nelson fight is going to be zombies. It's just, they're just going to come out in the middle of the cage and start slugging it out. Yeah, I'll be interested um, to see how that fight goes. Um, Roy Nelson could tap him I if he wanted to, though. He, he could. I, I think I think if Czech Congo fights at a distance, he might be able to beat Roy Nelson. But if he if he gets hit, I mean, it probably is over. <laughs> It's night. It's good night for the Frenchman, dude. If he if if Roy Nelson connects, man, he'll hit him. Or if it goes to the ground and he just rests his belly on his face for like two minutes, it's a wrap. Because you know Roy Nelson's good for that. Yep. He uses the stomach. He used it on Kimbo. Just just put, Kimbo's like <gasps> just dying under there. Got to use it as a weapon, man. <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do. Alan Belcher and Michael Bisping. Are, are on astronomical levels of beef. And it's funny because people just, they kind of have let this fight go under the radar because obviously, you know, John Jones, Chael Sonnen, but but somebody somebody's going to get legit hurt. Like, he's clowning the dude's Johnny Cash tattoo, which, frankly, I didn't even know was a Johnny Cash tattoo. I thought it was, you know, thought it was like his pops or something. I thought it was Elvis until someone said that. <laughs> dude, I thought it was his dad. I'm like, oh, maybe that's his dad or something, you know, like, like a memory of because, you know, I have... I have a portrait of my mom done like that. But it's like, yo, that's Johnny Cash. And I'm like, on what planet? On what planet? That looks like yeah, that, that. That's a horrible tattoo. That looks that looks like the old guy, the, um, the, the old guy, Paulie Walnuts from The Sopranos. <laughs> I'm like, yo, come on, son. <laughs> Don't say it's Johnny Cash at that point. Don't even say it. <laughs> Don't even rep yeah, it. That, that, that's a terrible, terrible. <laughs> Terrible tattoo. What do you think? You think Bisping is gonna is gonna st- is gonna steal it from Belcher? Um, I think there's a very good chance of it. Uh, I think that Bisping should be able to uh, box up uh, Alan Belcher, um, and kind of mix up his takedowns with his boxing. Uh, I think he should be able to win the decision. Oh yeah, I think you know. I think Bisping isn't gonna come in there and knock nobody out because. You know, there's always been a joke that Bisping has pillow hands. So, you know, they're like, ah, Bisping ain't knocking nobody out. But he definitely could come in there and definitely take a decision. Yeah. I mean, that that would be – that's probably the only way he'll win. And I, I, I can see him doing just that. So, of course, the big one, the big one this weekend, John Jones, Chael Sonnen. I know, I know, you, I know you're going to take bones in this fight. I will say this, though. Chael Sonnen, masterful in selling this fight. Masterful is all hell. I'm like, I'm like, dude, you are legit tripping right now with the shit you're saying. Tripping. He's done a, you're, he's done an excellent job. Yep. Um, at selling the fight that he's most likely going to get decimated in. Uh, he, this is this is why he's been put in this position, um, to sell this fight because John Jones 
seems to have no interest in selling this fight. Nope. He's just um, like, yeah. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I understand why he's doing that because he he's actually making sense because Chael Sonnen really doesn't deserve this fight at all. But, um, you know, it's it good good for Chael Sonnen uh, for selling this fight. Um, it's probably not going to be competitive for 10 minutes. And... Then we have to, and then I'm wondering what they do with him after this because this stick is not going to work again. No, it's it's not going to work. But you know, it's funny because he um his his promo that he did, what the hell was it? I think it was the 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 UFC on was the U. I think it was UFC Prime Time where he came in, and I was just mm-hmm. done. He was like, "Yo, shut up, y'all, shut up." And he just came in and, and dropped a crazy ass promo. I'm like, I'm like, Chael Sonnen, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, he's doing a very good job of selling the fight. I, I have ain't nothing wrong with what he's doing. He's doing it in a fashion that's not as disrespectful and borderline racist as with the stuff he was saying about Anderson Silva. Oh, they had legit, and, yeah, the Anderson Silva stuff, dude. But he was, but you know what that was? Anderson Silva was too was too relaxed. For that fight, and Chael Sonnen hasn't figured out the formula to get other John Jones's skin, and you know he could say, "Oh, you crashed the car into the pole," and John Jones like, "Yeah, I did." You know, like he's like, "Yeah," you know, like like that's the problem. Like Chael, the problem with Chael is that if you if you if he finds a weakness in you in terms of like how to get under your skin, he's gonna exploit the shit out of it. Yeah, and it, it doesn't seem like anything he particularly said has really bothered John Jones yep, at all. Nothing. John Jones like, it, yeah, you know, it's cool. It, <laughs> yeah, and 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 to be perfectly honest, would that even be in your best interest to upset John Jones? <laughs> yeah, but you know what it is. It's like, like I mean, it's like in that respect, yeah. and I, and I understand where you're coming from. It's true. You don't you don't want to piss the dude off because he might just come in there and kill you. But you know what? You kind of want that too because think about it. You're building this fight, and 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 again, it has tremendous press behind it already. Mm-hmm. But you know, you want to you want to kind of you want to entertain it a bit to sell the fight. Like I understand where John Jones is coming from, and he's just like, yo, I don't want to play this bullshit. But it's just like, dude, this is a big payday for you. So just just have a little fun with it. Don't go crazy. Like I was laughing. He's like, yo, Chael's mom. Chael's mom's kind of cute. I was like, oh, here you go. Like you know, he was he was using some real sophomoreish type stuff, and that's cool, that's fine. But you know what? I I appreciated that because he started showing glimpses of just being a, a perfect athlete. You know, you you gotta kind of be a a smidge of an entertainer. Like I liked when he was when he was getting ready to fight Rashad, and he's like, man, Rashad, Rashad's like, yo, you stole my style, John Jones. He's like, dude, I make it look good. Like like you know, it wasn't it wasn't malicious. But it was just enough that you're like, yo, I got to see these dudes scrap. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately for hardcore fans like me and you, we kind of know yep. what is going to probably happen. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very little chance that this fight is competitive past 10 minutes. And if you're not a hardcore fan, this is the, the, the greatest way to get yep. you um, to watch it. With with Chael Sonnen being we- a weirdo on ESPN, <laughs> asking to say touch Sage Stills' hair, 
Dude, I got incredibly weird. Before, I didn't even understand what was happening. Before before we go on, listen to the, to his madness on fuel because it's just it's just too good. I know people in the in the Mixler side are gonna get laugh their balls off. All right, this is going to be a real interesting fight. Uh, I mean, John Jones. Why don't is on you such shut a... up and listen up? And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in this next week. When I get to the Soprano State, when I step off that plane in New Jersey, there's a new family in town, the Sonnen family, and I'm the new Don. I'm taking over that state, and the first thing I'm going to do is go to the speaks, the sit-downs, the social clubs, and I'm going to be handing out smacks to anybody that doesn't want to kiss the ring. And my first order of business is to beat the bejesus out of John Jones. And when I'm done, I'm going to go over to Johnny C's place on Union Street in Brooklyn, have a couple of vachettas, and give the guys of the other five families an opportunity to pay me tribute. And John Jones, you will be reminded the hard way of why you never piss off a gangster. Oh, and guys, one more thing. Kaboom! UFC Tonight, presented by Dodge... Yeah. Out of his mind. Out of his, out of his fucking mind, dude. Like, he's, talk, he's talking about Boardwalk Empire shit going into speaks. Where is there a speakeasy in fucking Jersey? Nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, he's 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 he is doing a masterful job at selling this fight and coming off as borderline insane. <laughs> That's all he's got. He's dude. doing a great job. That's all he's got. It, it really, really, it is, and and I, I find it um unfortunate because I don't I don't know if he really doesn't want to fight after this because really after this there's there's no other title shots. Nope, there's no other payday. Like, like if you lose this title shot, you you're not gonna get another huge payday, or at least not one like this. Nope, not like this. And there's not gonna be another title shot, dude. I'm hearing rumblings like you know the people saying he's getting like fifty mil, you know, like like he's not getting no damn. Yeah, of course 50 not. Mil. But but I tell you, I tell you what though, <laughs> if he if he got the cut of the pay per view, he's getting fifty mil, like Jones is. Cause Jones and I wanted to share that with you. He did a, he did an interview recently about it oh, with Dan and, Levitar. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> yep, and he was talking about how he was saying, you know, he wanted to fight Gustafson next, and then he was saying that he'd love. He goes, "I'd love to fight on the Fox card. I would love to be on a Fox card." Then he 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 added the following. I would have to figure out how I would work that out with Dana since I would not be getting any of the pay-per-view revenue and stuff like that. But you do it because it's a job, too. But I I would absolutely be honored to be exposed to a different demographic. A lot of people can't afford to be spending $60 for entertainment like that, and I'm aware of that. I'd love to fight for people like that. I'd be honored. So with that into consideration, he's got a revenue deal. Yeah, and he's like, uh, he's like, oh, I'll gladly Jones, fight on. Fr- I would, I would gladly be shocked if he didn't make twenty mil a fight just w- yep. between the UFC, um, paying his regular fight fight yep. purse, his UFC sponsorship, yep, his Nike sponsorship. I'd be shocked if he's not making a couple million a fight, dude. I gotta say though, that Nike shoe that Jones got is ugly as fuck. It's just real bland. Yeah, I, I saw it. I was like, <laughs> I'm not wearing these. <laughs> like, 
I, mean, I guess they're just cross-strength issues, but I'm, I'm, I have no use for those. It's like, it's like, dude, how does your shit look like an Under Armour sneaker? What's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Nike Nike kind of dropped the ball on that. Hopefully they uh, they they redesign them in the second second wave. It looks better. I'll tell you what. They did good with the shirts and stuff. Like, I like the shirts and stuff they put out because, you know, they were showing models in Times Square, you know, because they took over New York City. I didn't know about it until, like, this, you know, that afternoon, I was like, ah, but the shirts and the gear look cool. And, and you know, he's, he's got to be taking 20 mil, maybe 25 on a good day. But I'll tell you what, this, 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 this fight, this revenue from this fight, if both dudes got revenue deals, they're definitely, uh, you know, high forties, maybe fifties. Cause you got to take into consideration the fact that there's going to be that purse bonus. You're going to get the sponsor bonus and, you know, Nike, Considering that he's fighting block, you know, blocks away from New York City, you know they're gonna be like, "Yo, we want maximum Nike placement," which is what he's been doing everywhere he shows up. You see that, you know, Bones nose or something. Yeah, I mean, he's getting his check cut. He's getting the check cut for this. Uh, John Jones is making a nice, nice bit of money off this fight. Well, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was when he did the interview with Junkie, with MMA Junkie. He said, um. He wanted to break Tito Ortiz's record of successful title defenses, which he said he would hope to accomplish in the fall. He goes, you know, one thing I've been contemplating is try is, t- is first tying Tito, then establishing the record of most wins in my fight in November. Then after that fight in November, entertaining super fights and heavyweight fights. So, with that said, let he gets past Chael. What are you going to give him? You're going to give him Gustafson at 205? Uh, probably, probably Gustafson. I would give him Gustafson over Dan Machida. I, I know Machida's ass is all like, oh, he should fight Machida next. Don't nobody want to see that fight again. Hell no. I don't even want to see uh, that. I didn't want to yeah. see that fight the first time. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he didn't deserve it the first time, to be perfectly honest. Oh, dude, I was, was like, yo, this fight is bullshit. The fight. Yep, I was like, yo, this fight is bullshit. Not, not because, not because of, of Machida's ability, but just because the buildup for that fight it's just the most boring thing ever. I respect John Jones' fighting style. He is a tremendous athlete. I'm like, all right, great. John, how do you feel about Lyoto? Oh, Lyoto, he's, you know, evasive. You know, he's got that crazy striking karate background. You know, I got my work cut out for me. Yo, no buildup, dude. Nothing. Like, Gustafson, he's a younger dude. Yeah. He's a little brash. He may talk a little shit to kind of stir the pot. So it'll be good, you know? Yeah, I mean that fight. That fight, though, I don't think the fight will be very good. I think the fight will be really one-sided. But, um, and it's not just because of John Jones. I think John Jones is a very, very, very bad matchup for Gustafson. Um, I, I just think you give him him, and you probably give him DC, and I think that would be the best matchup yep. and breed the best fight. Yep, I would give him. I would give him, you know, right after Sonnen, I would do Gustafson, get past Gustafson, and give him DC because that that's the fight that would probably make another good payday fight because DC DC stepping up his his you know his trash talking game and he's you know he could he definitely could could do some stuff to rattle John Jones and and not for nothing that fight is a complete toss up. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's so much to talk about. I would still give John Jones probably um, 
a pretty good advantage just because he's I'd, I'd have to see what DC looks like at 205. But True. as far as wrestling, I think it's it's almost a wash with wrestling. Yeah, that, and that, then you come to just straight striking. Wrestling, wrestling can't even be a factor in the Sonnen fight because John Jones isn't a slouch on the wrestling. Don't get me wrong, Sonnen, yeah, Sonnen's wrestling is is you know it's the, you know Olympic caliber. The dude is no joke, but it's yeah. like you have to close the distance first. <laughs> well. To, to circle back to the Sun and Fight, I don't think that will be the issue for Sun. I don't think the issue for Sun will be closing distance. Sun is great at that. Um, I think his issue will be once I close distance, I'm going to get tripped on my head. Like I don't, I don't think he'll he. I think once he gets inside, I don't think it's going to help him at all. As long as he don't try no spinning <laughs> like back fist, we'll be all right. It's... Oh, yeah, he doesn't <laughs> need to try him, but at some point, John Jones will probably hit him with a spinning yeah. back something. Yeah, spinning back elbow like he like he caught um, Stefan Bonner where Bonner's head bounced off the mat. I was like, oh, that dude is hurting. Yeah, like at some point in that fight, I think something violent like that's going to happen. I will say, I will say, if he's entertaining the super fights and the heavyweight fights, clearly the Anderson fight mm. is the payday fight. And in Anderson's case, he could retire off that fight. <laughs> Anderson Silva's another dude. He could just I be would like, love to see that. Yep, I would. Anderson Silva would can retire that fight, retire after that fight. If MMA gets sanctioned, that would close out Madison Square Garden. Or if they did it in Cowboy Stadium, that would pack that building to the roof for that fight. Like, dudes would fly out of state to go see that. Hell, I might have to make a trip to New York to see that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, If that's an actual fight. Yeah, because that's, you know, that's that's the super fight that there's, that there's incredible, you know, GSP's not coming up to 205 to fight John Jones. So anybody that, that gets that crazy notion, because, you know, he said super fights, plural, it's like, dude, there's only one other super fight you can have. And that's what Anderson if Anderson comes up to 205, and then, you know, if you want to start coming up to heavyweight, you can't go and do heavyweight Kane. super fights. Yeah, but, but like, if you do a heavyweight super fight with Kane, it better be for the belt, and you better be staying. You know, like, you can't do a, a heavyweight super fight and be like, yeah, I'm just going to fight a heavyweight and go back down to 205 like Anderson Silva was doing, you know, to pass the time. It's like, you know, you, you and I were, yeah. were talking about this a while back. It's like if you're making that jump to heavy to heavyweight, it's an evolution of your body at that point. Like you got to become a heavyweight body. Nobody's saying to become, you know, Alistair Overeem, but you're you're gonna have to fill out, dude. Like you can't go up there with that, you know, walking around at. Because he said in a in a in an interview, he was like, "Yo, Chael Sonnen and me in the Ultimate Fighter, and Chael Sonnen looked bigger than I did." And he said it. Because it's like yeah, you know he, he he'd have to put on a little bit of muscle. Yep, he'd have to put on he put have to put on a little bit of muscle, especially when you get in there and you start fighting savages. You know the only the only dude that that would be a good fight opening fight for him probably that would be, I'd like to see would probably be him and Pat Barry from a striking standpoint. See, and, and I understand what you're saying. I just don't think there would be any striking in that fight. <laughs> like, I don't think Josh Hill would strike with him at all. He probably wouldn't, but 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 I but I'd like I'd like to see that because because you know Pat Barry and, and and frankly between you and I I think Pat Barry should come down to two hundred five. He would be a problem. I, I think he should too. He he'd be a he, problem at two hundred five. Well, really small heavyweight. Yep, 
He'd be a, well, remember, he reminds me of when Rashad won the Ultimate Fighter and he was trying to fight a heavyweight. Remember that shit? Yeah, Rashad be, was fat. And he, he <laughs> beat up, he beat up Brad Imes. Remember that shit? <laughs> yeah. Not he the move. Brad Imes' ass. Yeah, like he. 5'9 heavyweight. Ugh, it was, it was a, 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 a clusterfuck. The last two, two things I wanted to go over with you to, to bring things to a close, uh, Mighty Mouse, John Moraga, UFC flyweight, July 27th in Washington. Also, Chick is not even resting. Misha Tate, Liz Carmouche meeting, and uh, Jake Ellenberger and Rory McDonald, plus Robbie Lawler and Tarek Safadine. Uh, both. That's, that's um, sounds like some good fights right there. That's a solid card. And then Eve Edwards, Spencer Fisher should be good. Um... Danny Castillo and Bobby Green should be nasty, and Mac Danzig and Melvin Gillard has the definitely the potential to 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 steal the steal the show with those guys. Yeah. Oh, and um, your boy. Those should be um really good fights. And your boy Matt Mitrione is off suspension. He's gonna fight Brendan Schaub. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that that suspension seems uh kind of. It, it it disappeared really quickly. Yeah, well, Dana White had to make an example, dude. That's all that was. He had to make yeah. an example. That's that's what that was. You know, Dana White called him like, dude, you can't say dumb shit like that. Remember what I said when I called that chick? Uh, you know, don't do that. Because <laughs> I I have a feeling I have a feeling Dana White is real politically incorrect behind the scenes, and he's like, yo, I understand you wanted to call him a tranny. I get that. But dude, you can't you can't just call this this person a tranny on air, or call him a he. That shit will get you in trouble, and then I gotta look like an asshole trying to bail you out. Like you know, it's super politically incorrect. Dana White on the phone with him. Like I look like a dumb motherfucker because of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know, that, there's that's no basically what. Probably what he said. Yep. It wasn't so much like, hey, this is a bad... Let's-. No. Oh. Ben drop out? Oh, I think Ben dropped out again. He did that thing from last week. That's what it looks like. Ben, uh, dial back in, if anything, and I'll bring you back on. Yeah, so... This happened. Let me see if it works again. Let me see. Ben, are you there? Yeah, Slick. Slick said it shows him is still on, but I don't hear him unless his phone pulled that crazy shit it pulled last week or it was a uh, patented blog talk radio scenario. But if anything, Ben, just um, dial back in. I, I know you're 803, so I'll bring you back on. But um, yeah, Ben Ben just said his phone <laughs> lost service, so Ben will call back in. As I was saying before... Dana White with this Matt Mitrione thing. Mitrione coming off the suspension to fight Brendan Schaub, who's been on the show before uh, for UFC on Fox 8. It's funny because, like like I said, I think I think Dana White just called me. He's like, dude, you can't be doing that stuff. Because the problem, the problem is that a lot of these guys, and I joke about it with, with Vince too, like there you can see the shades of, of douchery under undertone you know the the douchey undertones with these guys like dana white you could tell that off air off camera he's probably a a a super politically incorrect dude super super reckless same thing with vince which you know we joke about about vince mcmahon off air that vince mcmahon is just racist and 
and and and you know real real old school bigot type of a dude but just not directly i think dana white's the same i'm not saying he's a racist but i'm saying that he's definitely unfair <laughs> handle says there's no undertone of vince McMahon. you're gonna go out there and pretend to be mexican jumping beans or you're fired or some dumb shit like that but seriously i had to break out the the racist vince a little bit <laughs> Handel says that that shit emanates off of Vince like Super Saiyan energy. <laughs> no, seriously. Dana White, super politically incorrect. But the other thing I wanted to talk about, and this was the last thing, hopefully Ben will call back, was the UFC on Fuel TV 10 card, which I'm really looking forward to because it's going to have the finals of the Ultimate Fighter Brazil with the coaches meeting up, which is um, Nogueira and Verdum. Also on that card, uh, Rafael Cavalcante and Tiago Silva, looking forward to that. And Jason High is replacing the injured John Hathaway to take on Eric Silva. That should be a solid fight as well. It hasn't been officially confirmed, but all signs are pointing to that fight being on the card. Also, prelims on Facebook, you're getting uh, Derek Brunson and Ronnie Marks, which is going to be a good fight, and Rodrigo Dam and Mizoto Hirota. Is going to be a good fight also. And any fight with um, Carlos Vemela is going to be tremendous as well. So definitely a solid night of fights. And that's going down June 8th in Brazil. Maybe um, if, if the time difference holds, they'll probably do it early in the day. But stranger things have happened and, and, and sometimes they give it at night. So we'll see how that goes. But um, UFC Fuel TV 10 will be on June 8th. Anyway. That's going to wrap up the MMA segment for this week. Make sure you follow Ben on Twitter at Blackout89, B-L-A-Q-O-U-T-89 on Twitter. Hit up his articles on our uh, website, of course, MyTakeRadio.com, and you can always find them on our Facebook fan page if you want to talk some MMA as well. Anyway, while we were on the subject of races, Vince, let's get right into this week's wrestling segment, and you know who's going to take us right into it. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! Now, obviously, the fanboy in me would have played a little bit of fun, dang, go, but I decided to give The Shield a little love this week because, once again, The Shield, tremendous showing with Raw and also with SmackDown, which is recorded because it's in the UK. I'm telling you guys, there's a match that allegedly took place and wasn't supposed to be televised between Dean Ambrose and The Undertaker, which I heard was tremendous. It's definitely a great coming-out party for the the always ultra-talented Dean Ambrose, a.k.a. John Moxley, and I am super pumped for that. I may actually watch SmackDown Live this Friday to see that shit and not DVR it because of the, the fact that that match is going to go down. But before we get into any of that, I got to say... For a taped Raw, 
I did spoil myself, spoil it for myself and read the spoilers. And it was, it was complete bullshit. First off, Antonio Cesaro coming out yodeling. Yodeling. Well, handles breaking my balls because I said uh, SmackDown being live. But what I'm saying is not watching it DVR'd, watching it live, not DVR'd. You guys get the idea anyway. Damn it, Slick. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, the fact that Antonio Cesaro came out yodeling, this goes back to what I was saying with Vince. The, the, those racial overcoats, he loves them. So, Antonio, you're Swiss, right? You're going to go out there and you're going to yell, Ricola, before you walk out there. That's what you're going to do because I want you to go out there and look like a complete asshole. That's what I want you to do. You're extremely talented. You're a tremendous athlete, a phenomenal wrestler, but I want you to go out there and fucking yodel. That's what I want you to do. I want you to go out there and yodel. Why don't you just dress Santino like Mario and send him out too? Seriously. It was, it was, it was stupid. I understand that you kind of wanted to do it because he was fighting our truth, but I just felt that it was so ridiculous, like completely and utterly ridiculous. I also do have to acknowledge the fact that I don't know why they, they never gave, you know, we had the really crazy pinfall with our truth on Cesaro. Now we had another pinfall from R-Truth on Cesaro. Is this the R-Truth push that happens once a year? Seriously, like, like I understand R-Truth, and don't get me wrong. I don't dislike R-Truth. On the contrary, I will say, when R-Truth used the truth gimmick in TNA, at the, when, he, when he debuted in TNA as the truth, he was phenomenal. Look up any old R-Truth TNA stuff. Before he he started doing shit with Conan and those guys, I'm talking about old school TNA, and you will see that R Truth was the fucking man. Now he comes out here shucking and jiving, shucking and jiving. Shine your shoes, sir. That's what that's that's what they got him doing with this lame, you know, hip hop little Jimmy crazy man gimmick. It's like R Truth, your gimmick is gonna be. New York City homeless guy. You're going to wander out and talk to an invisible little boy. That's what you're going to do. Seriously, every time I see him talking to himself when he comes out, all I think about is a dude in Penn Station that's talking to himself inside a urinal. Seriously, standing in the urinal like, I don't understand why motherfuckers going to come in here and talk to me, man. I don't understand. I'm just trying to mind my own business, right? Right? Yeah, right? Right? And then you're just looking at them all uncomfortable while you're trying to take a leak and not look at them directly because he may try to stab your ass. That's what I see when I see R-Truth. I don't see a competitor or a great athlete. I see a guy that whose gimmick is a New York City homeless guy that raps to himself. Seriously. And for any of you that are that are New York City residents, you know what I'm talking about. The one crazy looking dude that always has like the R-Truth braids that are just terrible, that always talks to himself. He usually wears a coat, even when it's like 80 degrees out. That guy, that's R-Truth's gimmick. It, it's always been his gimmick. There's never been anything more than his gimmick. It's like, we're going to make you crazy black guy. Crazy black guy works. Seriously, like, like, that's the shit that irks me. And and R-Truth, once again, a phenomenal athlete, a great heel. 
when done right. But no, we're going to make you crazy homeless guy. You're crazy homeless guy that talks to an invisible little boy. That's what that's what we got for you. That's what we got. You can't just be a regular guy. No, you got to be crazy black guy. Kofi Kingston has to be great, you know, excited Bobby McFerrin Island black guy. The primetime play has got to be balling black guys. You know, it's like there's never just how about this guy's just a badass dude. The only guy that gets away with that is Mark Henry, and that was because Michael Hayes said some racist shit to him back in the day. So they don't really try and do too many racist, racial things with Mark Henry. Like, they don't be like, hey, Mark, you know, we want you to go out there, and we want you to walk out with a bucket of KFC, Mark. He's going to look at you like, motherfucker, I will beat you to death. So Mark Henry's not the guy that you can give the racial overcoats to, and you got to thank Michael Hayes for that. And you know what? Thank you, Michael Hayes. Hopefully you will continue to say racist shit to other minority athletes so they don't got to be pigeonholed in these shitty gimmicks. We're looking at you, Goya brothers. That's it. Slick says that Mark Henry does his own racist thing. That's right, he does, but Mark Henry's comfortable in calling himself the silverback. That's all him. That's what I do. That's what I do. This bucket of chicken, I just ate it. That's what I do. This grape drink, that's what I drink. That's what I do. That's it. That's all he does. He just walks around and yells, that's what I do. I would love Mark Henry to just walk around and just yell that in people's faces, like, as part of his gimmick. Like, come in, and you know how they always have Jarrett from Subway there? Just have Mark Henry come in, grab a sandwich. That's what I do, and just walk out. Nothing else. And just make a shirt that says, that's what I do. It it would be tremendous it would be tremendous and and you know i said it yeah i said that they're gonna make him walk out there with a bucket of chicken because you know what some motherfucker back there thought that would be a good idea so before anybody talking about oh rich is being racially insensitive i am a spick with family members that are the color of the rainbow i will say whatever the hell i want so before anybody gets offended i said it yes there you have it ladies and gents but Switching gears a little bit, we went from yodeling Antonio Cesaro to everyone's favorite intellectual savior of the masses, Damian Sandow, taking on Brodus Clay, which, of course, it was going to be academic that Damian Sandow was going to get the victory, and that's exactly what happened with some shenanigans, of course. Um, one thing I do got to say is that I'm noticing slight seeds of dissension being teased between Big E and Dolph, maybe they're preparing to do the breakup and push Big E on his own, which is fine. But you could you could definitely see there's there's something there. There's definitely something there which is which they're they're kind of starting to to feed and establish. Handel says Sandow always wins and Road Rhodes always loses. Sometimes that is definitely the case. I'm not disagreeing. Um anyway, they set up this match, non-title match, Dolph Ziggler taking on Chris Jericho in an awesome match. I could watch Dolph Ziggler and Chris Jericho wrestle in an empty pool on a fall day. That's how that's how crazy it is when these two guys work together because there's great chemistry, great storytelling, and of course, the match is stopped or let's say the distraction victory is caused by one and only
So the assist goes to Fandango's theme music that got Dolph Ziggler the victory this time around, which, of course, is to be expected. Next up, a wonderful match with um, Cody Rhodes and Sweet T, which, to, to go with what Slick said, it's true. Sweet T wins, Cody Rhodes loses, and Sandow wins. Simple as that. And I do got to acknowledge... Um, Colm from the T4 show, who's in our Mixler chat. It's been a couple of weeks since he's been on. Um, T4 show had some technical difficulties this week, and he actually said that um, Dolph Ziggler's starting to come into his own. And it's true. The problem with Dolph Ziggler is the fact that they'll start to give him shades of, of independence and making him a threat. Then they'll they'll have some crazy shit where he gets jobbed out. And and to say go with what Slick says... He doesn't need Big E. He doesn't. He needs AJ, though, because you can actually do something with AJ where they can just get the belts and stuff like that. And they're really going for that whole Harlequin crazy vibe with with Dolph Ziggler for some reason playing the role of the Joker, which, you know, take it for what it's worth. But it's true. I don't think I think Big E at this point is definitely becoming a third wheel. And I'm noticing it already with the way they're starting to do it this week, so maybe they'll they'll start getting ready to branch Big E off. And, you know, considering he killed Zack Ryder dead, who is in the midst of a gimmick change and possibly a heel turn from what I've been hearing on the web, who knows? But Big E is, is tremendous. You know, the big ending is an awesome finisher, and not for nothing, it's a very safe finisher. Like, when you look at a lot of these finishers, the margin of error and 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 the the probability of a guy getting hurt is definitely amplified, but Biggie Langston works very, very safe, and it just it just looks good. It just looks good the way the move is delivered. It's sold really well, and I think, you know, obviously, giant Biggie Langston boobies will uh, definitely protect you on the way out. That's, that's for sure. The six-man tag with The Undertaker and Team Hell No against The Shield was actually... Very, very good. A lot of great storytelling. Uh, The Undertaker was very agile, very mobile in the match. And, you know, I really like that the way that the Shield worked. They're just, they just work so well as a cohesive unit. Definitely shades of the Freebirds in the way that they do things. Just, just very fluid, very academic. And the match itself looked very, very good. And not for nothing, the the way the, the match ended did not hurt any of the participants. Because, Daniel Bryan went for the badass headbutt and, um, you know, the, the Benoit headbutt, which was cool, and he missed it, and he just got rolled up, which was which was good. It was good the way that they did it because it wasn't like he got caught with a finisher or he got he got decimated by a Roman Reigns spear. It was just a roll-up. It didn't it didn't hurt the guys and it kept the 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 story the storyline intact. And above all else, the shield got a pinfall on the tag team champions. So this, of course, leads to what they've been saying, which is giving the Shield the tag team belts, which I have no problem with that at this point. But the the match itself, phenomenal from start to finish. Of course, it wouldn't be a UK Raw without an appearance from William Regal, which is the case. Um, he took on Fandango in a... In a in, I don't even want to say it's a squash match because it, it was all right. You know, it was cool. Regal had some offense in there. Uh, Fandango uses a modified reverse FSTO for the finish, which um, I'm sure they're going to call it like the dip or, or you know, some kind of dancing move. But, it, you know, it's nice that they gave him a more impactful move instead of just relying on the leg drop. 
because while the leg drop is good, something like that, like that, you know, reverse STO, it just looks nice. He hits it really good and it coincides and works with his gimmick. So definitely a solid performance from Fandango. I got to give a shout out to the announce team that called William Regal, Steven Regal, which was pretty funny because that's what he was called in WCW. I also like that they, they referenced the man's man gimmick that William Regal did, which was tremendously terrible. So definitely props to the announce team for uh, catching that little mistake and having a little fun at Mr. Regal's expense. Uh, Not for nothing, William Regal is still a tremendous athlete, still delivers in the ring, and frankly, I wouldn't mind seeing him on TV, having a little fun with it, maybe putting him in in a stable with another guy or a tag team, because Regal still definitely has a lot to offer the business. That's for damn sure. We got a Divas Battle Royal, Layla, Tamina, Naomi, Oksana, and AJ. Clearly, you know AJ was going to get it to challenge Caitlyn for the belt. You knew it was coming. Anyway, Mick Foley came out. Why? I don't know. Obligatory Mick Foley appearance. And for some reason, he had issue with Ryback being Ryback and being a whiny, slow-talking bitch. And um, Ryback came out with his little skull cap and his unfinished t-shirt. And he was ready to pretty much kill Foley dead. But, you know, Super Cena comes in to save the day, uh, saves McFoley, of course. And the shield comes out, proceeds to put the boots to Ryback. Cena comes in, helps Ryback, and then delivers the AA as he stands tall to close out Raw this week. Fade to black, ladies and gentlemen, because that's what it was. It was so academic and it was so... It was so obvious that, don't get me wrong, wrestling is predetermined. So before anybody comes on there, but Rich, you know, you you knew it was going to happen. Yeah, I understand that. But you take a guy that you've built up as this monster, this unstoppable force, this beast, and you really just turn him into a whiny ass bitch. It's weird. It's just the booking is so odd. But Raw this week, definitely subpar. Meanwhile, on the TNA side of things, we had some some angle advancement as usual. We had um, a couple of decent matches. You know, Taryn Terrell taking on Tara in the opening match was okay. Uh, Taryn Terrell definitely stepping her game up every week. Um, This is definitely one of her better matches against Tara. She looked really good out there. I like, I've always felt that Tara, while, you know, one of of the older knockouts or divas is still uh, a talent that can offer a lot to any women's division. And she's an asset to TNA, and I think she will assist in making these other knockouts better. I continue to be annoyed with the fact that ODB is the knockouts ref. I think ODB should get a run with the knockouts title, and you can bring in any other potential knockout to serve as the referee for women's matches. I always feel ODB is underutilized, and uh, and and it, this has been a gripe for me from 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 get with her. Especially as of late, with the um, you know with the Bischoff Hogan regime, that ODB she was she was doing tremendously well. The crowd digs her. You know, if you go into Middle America, they really dig her. She comes out with a camel or the dicky skirt. You know, flashing a little bit of panty. She got like four bras on, holding her boobs up. Drinks from a flask. She's tattooed. You know, she's a chick you definitely want to pick up at a truck stop. You know, maybe at a at a uh, Waffle House. You know, the, she she's a she's a chick people could get behind, literally and figuratively. But seriously, in in all honesty, she is a, an underutilized talent that 
would be a, a great champion and the people can get behind her because she's just very regular. Like the way she has her character, you know, she likes to drink. She likes to party. She likes to get crazy. I like it. I like her character and the way it's booked. I don't like the way she's just cast aside. Like you cast her aside and we see Miss Tessmacher wrestle four times a week. Not to say that Miss Tessmacher can't wrestle. She's all right. But seriously, ODB is extremely underutilized. Seriously. We get a uh, Rob Terry, Jesse Goddard's match. They put him with uh, with Robbie E for some reason. And um, Rob Terry, just generic big man offense using his lame-o standing spine buster. You got a guy that's just a monstrous human being and you give him that lame-ass spine buster as the finisher? Get the fuck out of here. Anyway, Chavo Guerrero and Hernandez took on Austin Aries and Bobby Roode for the... Um, the TNA tag team titles in a, in a very, very good match. Um, definitely great chemistry between these guys. Chavo continues to impress and he continues to carry Hernandez. I think Hernandez has excellent potential to be a great ambassador for, you know, the, the, the Latino push. If you, if you know the Alberto Del Rio push, if you want to get um, not politically incorrect, and I think that Chavo's definitely the guy to get him over that hurdle because Hernandez is good, but he sometimes he he botches certain things, especially like the power moves with the potential to injure a guy. Those are the things that he botches. Seriously. Matt Morgan decided to come out and he's doing his shit and he feels that he deserves the title shot and blah, blah, blah. I like Matt Morgan, but the ship for Matt Morgan has already sailed. When he needed to run with the belt, TNA didn't do it. Then you put him with Joey Ryan, you break him up, no explanation why. Now you're doing the whole issue with him and Hogan. You know, it's, you know, I think that in Morgan's case, it's, um, in Morgan's case, it's a guy that he's given opportunity after opportunity. And I just think creative doesn't want to pull the trigger. He's got great presence. He's a big guy, extremely athletic. His mic work needs a little work, but you know what? You could give him a mouthpiece, and that can help him get over, and he can do tremendous damage. Even if you give him a brief run with the belt, even if you got to give him, like, the TV title for a little bit just to test him out, you got to give him something. Because, honestly, coming to WWE wouldn't do Morgan any favors. Sure, they'd book him as, as a monster for a little bit, but then they'd put him in, like, some dancing gigolo gimmick or some stupid shit. So, TNA, uh, Matt Morgan's best chance at, at, at gold is TNA. It's just creative that's kind of dropping the ball with him. The main event were the ladies, which was very, very surprisingly, uh, w- excuse me, very surprising. And it's not, it's not often that Impact does it, but they do occasionally give the ladies top billing in the main event. Velvet Sky and Mickey James had a tremendous match. The crowd was phenomenal. The crowd really made this match. Really made this match. It was it had some sloppy moments, I will say that. And I think that's partially on Velvet Sky's end, just because her selling of her injured knee was terrible. But <clears throat> Mickey James is still a serviceable wrestler. She she does um good wrestling with good opponents. Velvet Sky is okay. I think Velvet Sky still has a lot of improving to do. She's a good ambassador as for as champion because you know she's marketable, she's cute. 
She's extremely good looking. She was actually um, acknowledged by Maxim on Facebook. I think it was yesterday or the day before. You know, she's she's a she's a great athlete, but she needs work. She definitely needs work. Now, in comparing apples to apples, I'll say once again, Impact had some better wrestling this week. They definitely did. You know, we get a little bit of the uh, the aces and eights as usual. And um, the big Hogan Bully Ray confrontation to close things out, which is is garbage. I'm just tired of the whole aces and eights thing. It's it's really just getting old. Um, the thing that I don't like is that Hogan and Sting are being like the guys that are they're being pushed as like the the saviors of the company, which I don't like because you have such a huge faction in aces and eights, young guys, jobbers established wrestlers and the guys that are making them run away are Hogan and sting. It's ridiculous of all the people that you can push as the saviors of TNA. You're pushing the two oldest fucking guys there. Not your AJ styles or your cowboy James storm or your Samoa Joe. No, not those guys, Hogan and sting. That is the only blemish on a solid episode of impact that closing angle with them was just horse shit it really was complete horse shit and like i said definitely a blemish on this week's impact as for the other wrestling news for this week it was a pretty decent week um rosa mendez got sent home because the bitch got a drinking problem so they sent her ass home stop drinking um we got two new divas that should be debuting soon and you're going to be seeing them on the Total Divas WWE show on E! this July. They're going to be uh, Natalia Ava Marie. She was a 2012 PowerTech model. She, uh, her, she'll be known as you know Ava Marie. And the other girl was Josanne Alexi Offerman. Uh, Dominican girl. Uh, has a singing and dancing background. She's going to be known as JoJo Offerman. So if you guys want to see what these young ladies look like i will be posting their names in the chat so you guys can see who they are um the fact is that i think going going with new divas is fine using e as your vehicle to introduce them i don't i don't know how i feel about that and it raises questions with regards to the wwe network when you're doing original programming on other channels very interesting to see um both divas were found during a diva casting search that was done through several markets. Um, obviously, the the show's going to follow both ladies as they try to become stars in the company. You're going to follow, of course, Natalia, the Bellas, Naomi, Cameron, Layla. Um, all the usual divas are going to be there, and it's going to be in on E! So I know a lot of guys will definitely be watching E! with much interest to get a little insight into these new divas, and we'll see how they fare. I mean... They're not trained wrestlers, which concerns me as usual. And if we've learned anything, Kelly Kelly being the latest example is that these girls that don't have any wrestling blood come in, become stars, and dip out. And um, Slick is right. WWE is only an on-demand channel. Yeah, but they want to launch a full-on network, which is what I'm really looking forward to because I think... It would do well, and they could definitely get some sponsors. It's true. On Demand is a uh, welcome replacement. Definitely is. But I'd like a full-on WWE network with all the programming, especially 
if they use the logic that they've discussed, which is doing all the smaller shows on the network and um, doing the big pay-per-views, you know, SummerSlam, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, um, doing those on pay-per-view and the smaller ones doing them on the network. I wouldn't mind that at all. Anyway, I did want to talk a little bit about something I saw on WWE.com, which is suggesting that the Shield may have a fourth member. Obviously, you know, they included potential suspects like Paul Heyman, Big Show, Ryback, or Jack Swagger. Um, I said before my thoughts on Ryback being a member of the Shield, but if you're going to introduce a fourth member, you take the opportunity to introduce someone new. And if that's the case, I would bring up Cassius Ono as a new member of the Shield. He would do very, very well with those guys. Plus, you, you create, you know, like I've said before, Four superstars to compete for every major title. Simple as that. But who knows? Michael Bay was in the wrestling news this week because a lot of people were all butthurt that he um, he kind of cracked on the rock for it getting injured. Um, when they asked him about pain and gain, he said that the rock needs to grow up and stop wrestling 300-pound men after missing the film's premiere due to the WrestleMania injury. Of course, people were all butthurt and beat up about it. Like, oh, fuck you, Michael Bay. You're an asshole, blah, blah, blah. And um, Michael Bay actually had to go on his website and say, wrestling fans, it was a joke. Said on Entertainment Tonight with a laugh. You can see the clip for yourselves. The most important person to see the on-air joke was Dwayne. I love seeing The Rock wrestle. I hope he wrestles 10 more years. I joked on air because Dwayne was not at our LA premiere due to his injury. So there you have it. People, and you know, this is just in general. People are way too fucking sensitive. I knew Michael Bay was joking. He did a movie where Michael Bay did a film where The Rock and Mark Wahlberg are bodybuilders that fucking con people and do drugs and shootouts and explosions and shit. And it is true, Slick. Slick says that Michael Bay is an asshole. He is. But why are you getting upset for what he said about The Rock? Do you know The Rock personally? Were you actually offended? Oh, fuck you, Michael Bay. You made fun of The Rock, man. He's my boy. Look, if The Rock didn't give a shit about it or he laughed it off, why are you you guys getting offended? Shit, I laughed at it. I did. Because it's like Hollywood is going to say the exact same thing. They're like, all right, we're going to cast The Rock in this movie. Is he wrestling? Yeah, he is. Eh, maybe not. That's just facts, man. That is just facts. People just get way too fucking butthurt. Anyway. Last two bits of wrestling news to close things out. WrestleMania. WWE puts out their press release. Highest grossing WrestleMania ever. It grossed in excess of $72 million. That is the highest grossing event in WWE history. In addition, WrestleMania 29 will once again exceed 1 million global pay-per-view buys and attracted a sold-out crowd of 80,676 fans from all 50 states and 34 countries to MetLife Stadium. New Orleans, Louisiana will host next year's WrestleMania, which will be taking place Sunday, April 6, 2014, at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. So there you have it. Get your travel plans ready now. And last but not least, um, rumors running rampant of indie wrestlers making their way to WWE's roster. Of course, one of my favorites, Sammy Callahan, allegedly underwent medical testing for WWE, which, of course, is the last step before officially signing with the company. There's also been rumors of Davey Richards from Ring of Honor making the jump, as well as Mike Bennett. I'm telling you guys, 
Davy Richards, Benoit 2.0 would be awesome in the WWE. Give him a mat. Give him matches with Daniel Bryan, CM Punk. You know the guys that can actually wrestle, and Davy Richards will look tremendous. You gotta book him the same way you book Benoit, though. Minus obviously the 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 pillow smothering and Bibles and you know hanging yourself with your lat pull down machine. Minus all that stuff, Davy Richards definitely Benoit 2.0 in the WWE for sure. All right, that's gonna wrap up wrestling for this week. Let's get into this week's video game news. There is definitely a shitload of stuff to discuss. So we're going to start things off with Ubisoft announcing a DLC title of Call to Juarez called Call to of excuse me Call of Juarez Gunslinger which is going to be dropped on May 22nd as a DLC title for 14.99. You'll be able to pick it up for consoles as well as PC. So, I you know, I, I it's been a while. I think I played one Call of Juarez game and I it was okay, but we're going to see a little bit of um you know, we're going to see a little bit of that on not only Xbox and PlayStation, but also on the PC. The PC, digi- the PC digital version is actually available for pre-order, and that's going to give gamers full access to the next entry of Call of Juarez, which is Call of Juarez Bound in Blood. Any Uplay pre-orders will also provide access to an exclusive pack of legendary weapons. So, I got to give a shout out to one of my favorite franchises, that being Darksiders. Um, the remaining assets of THQ have been sold to Nordic Games. They not only pick up Darksiders, but also Red Faction and MX versus ATV, along with rights to THQ's other owned software, such as Destroy All Humans and any licensed software like Marvel Superhero Squad. Nordic Games paid $4.9 million for the rights, and um, you know Gearbox bought the rights to Homeworld for $1.3 million, and 505 Games paid $300,000 for the rights to Drawn to Life and Drawn to Life, the next chapter. All deals, of course, are subject to court court approval, but I am very happy to see Darksiders get a new home. Hopefully Nordic Games can finish out the remaining two games in the series with the Four Horsemen. We shall see what happens. You know, it pains me because Joe Mad Mad isn't going to be involved with Darksiders anymore, which is uh, another blow to the franchise, but hopefully Nordic Games decides to do something worthwhile with the franchise and give us two remaining excellent games. We shall see, and I will be monitoring that story very closely. So, gaming journalists far and wide, as far as the eye can see, have all been squirting in their shorts about the May 21st announcement for the next generation Xbox. All I saw that day that the announcement was made was post after post after post after post all using the same fancy Xbox invite for Redmond, Washington, letting everyone know that on May 21st will mark the beginning of a new generation of games, TV, and entertainment. On that day, of course, they're going to hold a special press event on the Xbox campus. You'll be able to watch it, of course, on Xbox.com, Xbox Live, and, of course, broadcast on Spike TV. Obviously, the rumors for this particular Xbox have been running rampant, everything from always on 
functionality that is required to not using used games to the eight core processor, eight gigabytes of memory, 800 megahertz of graphics processing, plus a Blu-ray drive. They're also talking about Xbox TV and it's foray into entertainment. Also, another thing that they've been talking about, which um, I'm very interested to see if they do, is the fact that this particular Xbox will, according to Paul Therott, run a special version of Windows 8, which should be interesting considering that they've already done the Windows 8-style interface with the tiles with the Kinect already. So, if they do try to do some sort of a hybrid OS of Windows 8, that runs games and can play applications, the evolution to becoming a multimedia box, in my opinion, will be complete because if you integrate it with something like, you know, um, you know, windows entertainment or, or windows TV, whatever you want to call it, tie it into the Xbox platform. You're going to have a full service box that allegedly is not only going to be your console, but is also going to play the role of DVR uh, digital media hub, etc. Now, the problem with this is a couple of things. Obviously, the always-on functionality is a big, big, big problem for multiple reasons. Obviously, not everyone may have internet functionality. I know people that don't. My fiance got internet in her house within the last two years, the last year, and that's just because her parents never really were into computers. They never saw a necessity for it. Obviously, things have changed since then, but I know plenty of people in my life that don't have the internet. And, you know, it would suck that you want to enjoy your Xbox experience, and because you don't have internet, you can't. So, it's going to be very interesting to see if that happens or doesn't. Obviously, the the guy from Microsoft that kind of got himself canned because of that is, um, he lends a lot of, he lends a lot of credibility to the fact that that may be the case. The system not playing used games, I beg to differ only because, again, it's one of those things that used games still have a tremendous market, and honestly, the internet capabilities of our country have not evolved to the point where you can get all the games for cheap that would eliminate the necessity to purchase them used. So with that said, I'm a little bit um, conflicted about believing that, but who knows, again, We're not going to know shit till May 21st. I'm not going to write any posts speculating about it. I didn't write a post about the stupid announcement because, again, it's nothing but a big green card telling you to tune in May 21st. It's it's clickbaiting, in my opinion. Honestly, May 21st is going to come, and unless they come out of the gate with something comparable or better than PlayStation 4, it's not going to matter. It's really not. Because that's where this is where the console race has, has really come down to. It's about who is going to take this generation to the next level. PlayStation has a strong, strong, strong case. Microsoft can do something about it. They can. But it's it's got to be something completely revolutionary. Integrating it with Windows 8 or creating some sort of a set-top box, nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares. Unless you plan on making it that your Xbox is going to replace your cable box and you could give your cable box to your provider and you're going to plug in the console and it's going to serve as that and your console and all this other shit. Maybe then, but that's just me reaching. We're going to find out May 21st. There's no sense in speculating because 
It can be the complete opposite of everything we just said. Everything. It could be a, a larger processor. It could be more than 8 gigs of memory. It could be a, a, a new medium instead of Blu-ray. Could be that. You never know. But the fact is that this system is going to bridge the gap between games, television, and entertainment. That's a no-brainer, and that is pretty much the direction of every console going forward. Now, we talked about the PlayStation 4, we talked about the Xbox 360, let's talk about Nintendo. Nintendo is not doing well on the Wii U side of things, and I'll tell you why. They have posted a lower-than-expected financial loss due to poor Wii U sales. The Wii U's life-to-date sales stand at 3.4 million. That's down from Nintendo's revised forecast of 4 million and its original target of 5.5 million. Wii U software sales currently stand at 13.4 million units, but despite the lower-than-expected sales, Nintendo still posted a net income of 7.1 billion yen, or $71 million, which is definitely an improvement from the losses of the the forty three million dollar yen loss, um, excuse me, the forty three million yen loss last year. Of course, the figure is almost fifty percent less than predicted, and not only that, but net sales are lower than expected, and operating costs definitely um, were also losses because they um, the Wii U's hardware sales plus the depreciation of the yen were a huge, huge, huge factor. Meanwhile, the three DS. million units for the financial year. Think about this. 13.9 million versus a Wii U console's sales volume of 3.4. Just saying. That's under the 15 million predicted, but still not by much. The original Wii and the original DS sold 3.9 million on the Wii side and 2.3 million on the DS side. Think about that. 3.9 3.9 million the original Wii. How does the original Wii outsell your brand new technologically advanced flagship system? Answer me that, people. Seriously. How does that fucking happen? I'll tell you why that happens. Because people that own a Wii that I know own a Wii and I go, "Hey, are you going to pick up the Wii U?" They go, "Why?" That's the question I get asked. Why? Oh, well, you know, you get the, the, the tablet and, you know, you get some of those games, but why? What else is there that I need to play? And, of course, you can say Lego City Undercover, Zombie U, New Super Mario Brothers, the list goes on. But, again, you're not giving people that one IP that makes you jump out of your skin and say, listen, I need to buy this console. They're not doing it. It's not happening. On the contrary, what's happening is that you are putting out repainted, freshly polished games that we've already seen. Lego City Undercover, Slick told me about it, and, you know, it definitely looks like a a kick-ass game. Shit, I would definitely play it if I owned a Wii U. I have owned every Nintendo console, going all the way back to the very beginning with my NES with Rob, the robot, and fucking Gyromite which was a terrible fucking game all the way back to that. And as I grew older, my, my affinity for Nintendo became only, only home consoles and not handheld. I had a green screen game boy. I had a game boy SP, which I still have with a Ram cart that I keep in the bathroom. 
that I play old games on. But after after those generations of consoles, even the GameCube, I sold the GameCube, I got the 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 Wii, and I still played my GameCube games. I only I'd say it's been six months since I sold my WaveBird controller that I had because I sold my GameCube and I sold my Wii because they were just collecting dust. The WaveBird controller has tremendous resale value. I think I got like seventy five dollars for it. Just just saying, in case any of you guys have any lying around, you can get some some nice money for it. But seriously, I didn't run out of, uh, run out and buy the Wii U not because I didn't want to buy it, but because I just felt that there was no genuine incentive for me to really pick it up. On the Wii, I used to play Wii U. I mean, um, on the Wii, I used to play um, Wii Sports. I used to play Wii Fit. I used to do all that stuff. But then it just gradually became more and more shovelware, less first-party titles to the point where I had a layer of dust on the Wii system, and it was so thick that when I ran my Swiffer over it to clean it, I had to actually throw the Swiffer out after one pass. That's how much dust was on it. Now, obviously, uh, you're, you guys are like, oh, Rich, you know, why are you, why are you a slob? But it's not even that. The console was tucked in a corner of my TV, and I just forgot it was there. That's how crazy it was, because I had the Wii standing vertically. So it was standing in a nice little corner of my console, the way my, my home theater set up, and, you know, Slick can attest, and you just, you couldn't even really notice it. And that's that's the thing. I just got rid of it. Meanwhile... Like I said, the 3DS, tremendous. The DS, still selling. New Super Mario Bros. 2 sold 6.4 million million units globally since August. Animal Crossing New Leaf sold 3 million units in Japan. Pokemon Black 2 and White 2 were among Nintendo's biggest selling games for the year, with a combined total of 7.8 million in sales. There's definitely a market for these games. It's just there's not enough of them. Nintendo currently hopes to sell 9 million Wii U consoles during the next fiscal year and 18 million 3DS handhelds. In order to do to do this, allegedly, the company is focusing on delivering more of its core games in overseas territories without long delays. They also hope to boost digital sales in order to increase sales opportunities. And all this stuff I read on Digital Spy. Now let's let's talk about this. And he, and here's the tangent. You guys want to sell 9 million Wii U systems within the next fiscal year and 18 million 3DS handhelds. I can see 18 million 3DS handhelds being sold because you guys keep putting out solid games on the 3DS. But let's look at it like this. 9 million Wii U consoles and a, and, and your motivation is that you're going to develop more core games for overseas territories. Isn't that what we fucking been saying since the release of the system, since the announcement of the system, if you guys go back and listen to old episodes of MTR, when Slick called in and we had these lengthy discussions about the Wii and about the Wii U, we said the same thing. Put the systems out. Put out good first-party titles, and you will move systems. You put out one good first-party title, then you put out uh, one or two good third-party titles, then fucking crickets. That's what it was. Crickets. In my review for Injustice, I reviewed Injustice for the Xbox 360. I knew there was a version for the PlayStation 3. I didn't even know there was a version for the Wii U until somebody said, yo, there, there's a Wii U version of Injustice. I didn't even know. I'm curious if anybody even bought the shit. 
I'm curious. Because nobody talks about it. They don't advertise it. I, I don't see Wii U advertisements on my television. I don't see it. I just don't. And you guys expect to sell 9 million units within the next fiscal year with PlayStation 4 on the verge of being released in November and the Xbox announcement. Because I guarantee you, the Xbox announcement on in May is going to be like, here's our new Xbox. We're going to be at E3 showing off all the games. The system is going to be in stores for the anniversary of Microsoft's release of of the Xbox 360 or the regular Xbox. Here's the system. Boom. Are we going to give you prices? Yeah. Okay, but seriously, 9 million units. Slick just told me that Arkham Origins is being made for the Wii U. Okay, great. Arkham Origins, Wii U. They did Ar- It's great. It's great that they're doing it, but think about this. They're not even going out of their way to promote this stuff. Like Arkham Origins is going to come out. We're going to get commercials for it. And they're just going to be like, grab Arkham Origins now for your Xbox 360 or PlayStation 3. Usually when they when they tie the commercials in with GameStop, they'll go pick it up at your local GameStop for Xbox 360, PlayStation 3. They don't even acknowledge the Wii U. They don't even acknowledge it in lame stop commercials for certain games. They don't even bother. It, it's, it boggles my mind that you expect to sell 9 million units in the next fiscal year against two consoles that are probably leaps and bounds ahead from a technology standpoint. And your rationale is we're going to sell more of our core games. Really? That's your rationale. We're going to do the shit that we should be doing. And that's, what's going to sell more, more systems. Great. Yeah. Right. Anyway, in other Nintendo news, um, they it was announced during the financial results briefing that they will not be doing a special a special presentation at this year's E3, which takes place June 11th through the 13th. Not going to do it. Instead, Nintendo is going to be holding smaller events focused on software. So there you have it. Satoru Iwata put out a statement, which I'm going to share with you guys. He puts, at E3 this year, we are not planning to launch new hardware. Our main activity at E3 will be to announce and have people experience our software. Many people are certainly very interested in learning more about the Wii U titles we're going to announce. We will use E3 as an ideal opportunity to talk in detail, mainly about the Wii U titles we are going to launch this year. We also plan to make it possible for visitors to try the games immediately. As a brand new challenge, we are working to establish a new presentation style for E3. First, we decided not to host a large-scale presentation targeted at everyone in the international audience, as we did in the past. Instead, at the E3 show this year, we are planning to host a few smaller events that are specifically focused on our software lineup for the U.S. market. There will be one closed event for American distributors, and we will hold another closed hands-on experience event for mainly Western gaming media. Also, I did not speak at last year's presentation, and I'm not planning to speak at these events at E3 this year either. Apart from these exclusive events for visitors, we are continuing to investigate ways to deliver information about our games directly to our home audience around the time of E3. We will share more information about them once they have officially been decided. During the E3 period, we will utilize our direct communication tools such as Nintendo as Nintendo Direct to deliver information to our Japanese audience, including those who are at this financial briefing, mainly focusing on the software that we are going to launch in Japan. 
So there you have it. No hardware. We're going to focus on software. That's great. What are we going to focus on? Another Donkey Kong Country that's pretty much an old Donkey Kong Country game with a fresher coat of paint? Maybe we're going to focus on another Legend of Zelda game that's pretty much an older Legend of Zelda game with multiplayer. Seriously. Is that what we're going to look at? What happened to your titles? Like, what happened to F-Zero? I mean, F-Zero, F-Zero was an awesome game. That would be tremendous on the on the Wii U platform with the tablet. Where is it? Oh, yeah, that's right. Not here. Kid Icarus, we saw it on the 3DS. It was great. How about giving us a legit Kid Icarus title on the Wii U? What about it? You know, instead of doing Mario and Sonic at the Olympics, maybe you should give us an original Mario game. How about that? Not Mario Sunshine 3 or some shit, but a, another new Mario game. Ma- you know, Super Mario Galaxy 3 or something. I-, I applaud them for doing something with Luigi at least because, you know, Luigi needs a little love too. But seriously, you got all these first party IPs and we got nothing. I'm waiting for them to say, oh, Mario Kart Wii U is coming because we know it's going to happen. It's not a matter of when, it's a matter of how soon. Simple as that. Tesco played the role of spoiler with the brand new Call of Duty, which is going to be Call of Duty Ghosts. The game listing was made public by the retailer, and of course, everybody jumped on it. And, um, oh yeah, you're right. Handel said, fuck that, Mansion is an old game, you're right. I forgot that there was a Luigi's Mansion game, but you know what it was? That game was so old, like I think that was a launch title if I was correct. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong about that, but I think that was a launch title when the system came out at the time when the GameCube came out. So it was, thank you, Slick. There you go. It was a launch title. That's how old it was that I totally forgot that it even existed. I thought that doing something with Luigi was, you know, them trying to give him a little love, but there you go. Another old game. See, thanks. Slick. yep. Dark helmet, Mario and Sonic versus Bowser and Robotnik. Yes. Nothing would make me happier than Mario and Sonic doing a platform game together where Mario decides to put on a Sonic suit so that he can keep up with Sonic. Like, remember in Sonic 2 where you would run through the levels with Sonic and Tails would follow? You would have Mario exclusive levels and Sonic exclusive levels where Sonic is running through the game and Mario is playing the role of Tails wearing a Sonic suit. Or even if you're giving him, like, the fast red sneakers. How awesome would that shit be? Just Mario running through the stages with, with, you know, right behind Sonic. And, you know, in stages with Mario, Sonic can get some of Mario's power-ups. Like, you can have, like, Mario, like, Sonic touches the fire flower and his, um, his body gets covered in fire when he runs through enemies. Or maybe, you know, you get, when, when you're in Mario stages and, and Sonic gets hit, he becomes little Sonic and he eats the mushroom and becomes, you know, regular-sized Sonic. Stuff like that. You know, things that, that challenge the status quo that are that are awesome. And it's true, Nintendo basically owns Sega. Slick is 100% spot-on with that. But I can beat this shit up the whole night. But it's true. Give us better things. Different things. You know you know how, how it pains me that, you know, I can't... I haven't owned a Nintendo console in a while? It really bugs me. 
because I've always been a guy that owns, you know, every console, not because I'm greedy or because, you know, I want to ball out or nothing, but because I like the offerings that each system had at the time. It's, it's crazy that I don't miss playing Mario, that I don't miss playing Zelda, that I don't miss playing Metroid, investing hours and hours into, into Metroid, that I don't miss, you know, playing old school Castlevania style games. Or, or maybe a new spin on Excite Bike, something, something different. Or mix Mar- mix Mario with Zelda. That would be crazy. Like Mario, Mario puts on like the Zelda costume with the little sword and shit. Like you could do like a Nintendo All Stars adventure game, something. You know, something cool. Even if it's like a RPG style game, but at least it would be different and it would be risky and people would be like, "Wow, Nintendo's thinking outside of the box." Not happening. Anyway. As I was saying, Tesco played the role of of spoiler with Call of Duty Ghosts, uh, showing off cover art for the PS3 and 360 versions of the game. Um, Obviously, the game, the the mask is similar to the mask worn by Ghost in Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, and the art shows the logo of Infinity Ward. Of course, Tesco got caught out there, took down the listing, and uh, yeah, everybody, Call of Duty fans are going crazy with it talking about it everywhere we shall see what happens in the coming weeks last but not least if you are a fan of skyrim but just didn't pick up all the dlc bethesda's putting out a skyrim legendary edition this new collection will see the original game released with the three add-on packs dawn guard hearth fire and dragonborn all packaged together the collection will feature the most up-to-date version of the game and of course with the legendary difficulty level and of course the removed level cap you can expect it on 360 ps3 and pc for 60 bucks on june 4th in north america and in europe so there you go if you are somebody that didn't pick up every piece of add-on for skyrim you can get the complete legendary version for 60 for 60 bucks june 4th all right ladies and gents that's going to wrap up this week's entertainment segment Let's get right into the, I mean, uh, excuse me, this week's gaming segment. Let's get into this week's entertainment news because we got lots to discuss and I want to give a shout out to the crew up in Boston and I figured this would be a uh, fitting intro for this week's entertainment segment. All right, so on the entertainment side of things, we got to start off with uh, some crazy casting. Get this. Um, it seems that Tom Hiddleston, who you guys know um, as Loki in, in the Avengers and the Thor films, is in early talks to take the lead role in The Crow. The rap reported that Hiddleston would play Eric Draven's role in a reimagining of the graphic novel and film, which is being produced by Relativity Media. Of course, the graphic novel is about a man who returns from his death to avenge the death of himself and his girlfriend at the hands of a gang. The original film, of course, was adapted by Miramax in 1994 and starred the late Brandon Lee. So, not for nothing, I'm not I'm not a fan of a Crow remake. I'm really not. But if you guys remember, uh, I'd say five or six shows back, I talked about them doing the Crow with Bradley Cooper as the crow, which I thought was just going to be complete shit. 
Tom Hiddleston is a different caliber of actor. He may be, he may be able to pull it off. We shall see what happens. On the box office side of things, Oblivion took over the box office this weekend, earning $38.2 million. Right at, right underneath was 42, of course, the Jackie Robinson biopic. Took in another $18 million to bring its total to $54 million. The Croods was number three. Scary Movie 5 was number four. G.I. Joe Retaliation was number five, bringing its total to $111.2 million. The Place Beyond the Pines was number six. Olympus Has Fallen was number seven. Evil Dead was number eight. Jurassic Park 3D was number nine. And Oz the Great and Powerful was number 10 with $3 million, bringing its grand total to $223.7 million. I will say, hopefully this weekend, if my schedule permits, I will be checking out Pain and Gain, and I will be putting up a review for that as well. So, wouldn't be an MTR Entertainment segment without some what-the-fuck movie news. And you guys are going to love this. A sequel to Dodgeball. The Hollywood Reporter is saying that Clay Tarver, who did Joyride, has been brought in by 20th Century Fox to write a sequel to the 2004 comedy. The sequel will see Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn's rival gym owners, Peter LaFleur and White Goodman from the last film, put aside their differences and join forces. uh, Stiller and Stuart Kornfeld will produce through Stiller's Red Hour Productions. Here, here, just take it. Take it. Oh my god! Ah, 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 ah. Oh, that's better. Ah, 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 ah. Here you go! That, that that's what that deserves. Are you kidding me? The original Dodgeball is a guilty pleasure at best. At best. Guilty pleasure. Really? You want people to pay money for that shit? And it's true, Slick is right, I forgot. Vince Vaughn and stupid-ass Owen Wilson are doing that Google intern movie. Really? You why don't you just here's here's what I want. This is what Hollywood is going to have to do from now on. I want you to tell everybody that wants to see these movies to go to the theater, walk down the aisle to their seats, and then grab their ankles and spread their cheeks so that you can proceed to fuck them. Because that's what you do. You fuck the theater goers. With shit like this, with mindless drivel. You clog up the box office with this shit. And I'll tell you why. They put out a movie, which I'm sure some of you guys may know, it's about Liberace. It has Michael Douglas and Matt Damon. Originally, the movie was supposed to get a big screen release. And, oh, you know, the subject matter, blah, blah, blah. Basically, from what's been said, Hollywood thought the movie was too gay. I don't know how that works, but too gay, supposedly. Now, they decided to release it as a small screen film on TV. I don't know if that was the intent all along, but from what I've heard, they thought that a movie about Liberace was too gay. But you give us this. And again, 
I'm not even acknowledging whether the Liberace movie would be good or not. But you know what? It's something different. It's a biography about something. It's a biopic about somebody else. Maybe the guy had an interesting life. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But still, you don't put that in the theater. You don't. But you'll give us a movie where Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson are playing Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. Basically. You give us a movie where... Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn, well, Ben Ben Stiller, at least, he acts a little bit as White Goodman. But Vince Vaughn is playing Vince Vaughn. That's all he ever does. He plays the same fucking guy in everything. In everything he does. There's no range. There's no scope. There's no no acting outside of the box. There's no Heath Ledger-level acting when it comes to fucking Vince Vaughn. He doesn't do shit. He is bullshit. Vince Vaughn is a valet at a country club that got lucky. That's what Vince Vaughn is. I don't. I think if Vince Vaughn did stand-up, the only people that would find him funny are middle-aged women. That's it. He is a dullard and he stinks. He does. And, and, and he has this, this, this aura about him that just screams, I'm a complete fucking douche. Sorry. And I'm sure you're gonna people are gonna be like, "Hey, man, he was good. He was good in old school. He was good in old school because he played the same fucking guy. He's played in every movie. He was funny in old school. He was funny in that movie with Reese Witherspoon. Again, because he played the same fucking guy. That's what he did. That's what he does. See." Thank you, Slick. He was good in old school because of Will Ferrell. Yes. Will Ferrell made him look good. Will Ferrell did the job in that movie. He made that shit work. He made Luke Wilson funny. I usually laugh at Luke Wilson in commercials because he got fat. But he was funny because of Will Ferrell. And even Will Ferrell's comedy has shades of, of fucking shit. But he plays different guys. Will Farrell does George Bush. He was Mugatu in fucking Zoolander. He was Ron Burgundy. He was an ice skater with, with, with stupid ass Napoleon Dynamite. Ricky Bobby. Again, range, acting, differences. Because you know what it is? It is acting. It is stepping outside of yourself and playing someone else. Someone different. Someone unique. You know what Vince Vaughn steps out of? He steps out of his closet with his fucking Converse and his dad jeans and his lame sweaters and he's the same fucking guy he was when he went to bed the night before. He stinks. Seriously. Stinks. He garbage. He is garbage. Uh, slick says they are they are all morons but they are not the same character it's true will ferrell plays idiots but they're different idiots vince vaughn same fucking guy even when he showed up in anchorman he was the same guy in a suit a douchebag in a suit that's what he was douchebag in a suit nothing more Nothing less. Simple as that. But that's what you guys got to look forward to. You guys got to look forward to a sequel to Dodgeball. Yes. Leah McIntyre, fresh off of Spartacus, War of the Damned, 
will be joining Hercules 3D. Now, again, this isn't the Hercules with The Rock. This is the Hercules I talked about last week with Kellen Lutz that Rennie Harlan is directing. Uh, Liam McIntyre will be playing an army captain who is a trusted friend of Hercules in the film. So there you go. Liam McIntyre, props to him for getting a role after Spartacus and in a pretty in a pretty decent budgeted film. We'll see who has the better Hercules, and I can guarantee you it is not going to be Kellen fucking Lutz. IGN reports that Ratchet and Clank will be getting an animated feature in theaters. Nice, very cool news. I saw a little bit of video that they put up. You can expect it in early 2015. They put up a really cool little video. A full-on game cast is on board to do Ratchet and Clank. And not for nothing, I'm I'm actually looking forward to... I'm looking forward to seeing it because Ratchet and Clank are fucking absurd. And, And the fact that they're using the same voice talent and it's just... Again, see Hollywood, you're taking the source material and you're running with it exactly how it should be, untouched. What it is. It's a, Ratchet and Clank's movie is going to be a giant cutscene from the game. That's it. And you know what? It's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. 2015 is the target. So, Neil Moritz spoke with Collider and he gave a little bit of insight into Fast 6 and Fast 7. So... He says that Fast 6 is supposed to be the best in the series. He said that they had a test screening and 90% of the people said that it was better than Fast 5. So, very interesting. With regards to Fast 7, he said that they're going to be filming it over the summer. And um, they asked him about The Rock. And he said that Fast 7 is going to be a new chapter. But that The Rock will be involved. Remember last week I said that The Rock was questionable for Fast 7. It looks like all signs are pointing to The Rock coming uh, coming back to resume his role as Hobbs in Fast and Furious 7, which isn't a bad thing. And, of course, there is that Hobbs spinoff movie as well. I've just been notified that Slick is calling in, so let me bring him in real quick. What's going on, good sir? What's up, man? I don't know. You tell me. Ratchet and Clank. I know you're pumped. I know you're pumped for it. Of course, I mean, for once, Hollywood is, you know, there's still no originality whatsoever, but they're, they're finally doing something that makes sense. Yep. As for The Rock being in Fast 7, no shit. I mean, he's not starving, but of course, The, the Rock's going to keep making that, that college money for his daughter. Yep. Fast 7 is an easy pay. And, and the, the fucking movie itself, let, let's be honest, it makes money, but does it make more money without The Rock? Hell fucking no. Well, you know what it is? They re- love Vin Diesel. Well, here's, here's the thing with that, and it's funny you bring that up, because what happened was you took a cast that was already good, had tremendous chemistry, and you added the X Factor of The Rock, and it worked so well, and it was such a huge gamble... That they, they just had to run with it. Because don't get me wrong. If you look at Fast and Furious 1. Fast and Furious 2. Even with Ty, with the involvement of Tyrese. Skipping Tokyo Drift. You know going into, in, into Fast 4 and Fast 5. The cast had tremendous chemistry. And to add a guy like The Rock. That just meshed so well. You couldn't just let it. You couldn't let it lie. You know what I'm saying? Like you couldn't just be like alright one and done. You knew that The Rock had to become a regular. It was important because it just worked. 
adding the rock to a Fast and Furious, that's like finding finding like a bunch of great white sharks and just throwing like half a ton of raw bloody meat in the water. There you go. That's how it is. And the funny thing also with The Rock is this. The Rock is doing Hercules. He's competing against another Hercules movie. The chances are his version of Hercules may be good or it may suck. So you got to ask yourself, put all my eggs in one basket with a franchise that has been untested and may be good or keep my eggs in the basket of the franchise that guarantees me a shitload of money in both movies, plus the potential for a spinoff film that is already going to be gaining attention because I'm capturing the audience from the franchise that I was a part of. It's like the Avengers in reverse. There you go. You know, and he, and you know, the rock is like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. Blah, blah, blah. Dude, you're, you're, you're not going to not do that movie. Cause the payday is, is, is huge. Not to say that you're not going to get serious dough for Hercules, but let's put it on the on the on the scales. Who is going to pay you more? It's not going to be Hercules cuz you you have more on the line. If Hercules bombs, yeah, because of the fact this the fact that it's a sequel, you want to make sure he comes back, so he's definitely going to get more more money for fast. There you go. And not only that, but you know, if Hercules sucks, you can just blame The Rock. If Fast and Furious doesn't do well, they'll just be like, oh, Vin Diesel's lost his box office appeal. You see what I'm saying? Like, there's less pressure to be great. Because it's like, you could blame Vin Diesel. You could say Paul Walker's not as hot looking as he was 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Michelle Rodriguez isn't 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 as dimed out as she was. Or, you know, Jordana Brewster was I, you know? Or why the fuck isn't the Asian guy dead yet, even though he died in Tokyo Drift? You, know, you have all these different reasons to blame to blame a movie's failures and not blame it on The Rock. Meanwhile, if Hercules sucked, they'd just be like, "Damn, The Rock did a shit job in this movie." Crazy. That's how it goes. And back with the um, you know, the video game movie. Like, this is the thing, I don't see why nobody has done this a long time ago. Like, with all the movies that DC does, why don't they let Rocksteady freaking do a CG animated Batman movie? I'd like to see that. A CG, I think Rocksteady should, should use their talents for that. I agree. I think that gaming companies that have intimate knowledge of their characters should be allowed the opportunity to, to, to create standalone feature films. You don't got to go to the box. You don't got to go to the theaters with it. You could just as easily go to, you know, DVD and Blu-ray. I agree. I agree a hundred and ten percent. Like all the people killing each other over a halo movie. It's like what? Cause you wanted to find somebody to cast as master chief. That would probably take off his helmet halfway through the movie. And master chief wouldn't have a helmet on. Like, I don't know. Judge dread with Stallone. Same shit would happen. Why not just let the team that made the game make the movie? Simple as that. I mean, I figured computer animation, especially when you have you already have this stuff like the the base animation and everything, that would be cheaper than they can paint. 
That's I, why they don't do any campaign anymore. I agree. I agree 100%. And like you said, it's definitely going to be cheaper to hire Kevin Conroy. Yep. Not taking anything away from his talent, but it's definitely cheaper to hire Christian Bale. Thank you. Look at Peter Cullen, dude. Peter Cullen is gaming the industry because he's doing the animated Transformers and because he is the most recognizable voice of, a, of an iconic character, he gets to enjoy hitting up Michael Bay for a couple hundred grand. Like, you can't do Optimus Prime and make him sound like Mr. Spock. It's not going to work, guys. Oh, we'll just hire Leonard Nimoy. Shit won't work. People aren't stupid. That voice is iconic. I never understood why they didn't hire Frank Welker. To voice Megatron? Dude, I I don't understand either. Because he should have voiced Megatron in the movies. Especially after that shit Hugo Weaving pulled where he's like, yeah, you know, I just read some lines. You know, I I didn't watch the shit. I don't know. He's a big robot. Nothing. (laughs) He, He legit said that in the interview. He's like, yeah, I just read some lines, whatever. You know, whatever. It was just a role. You know, whatever. It wasn't all that. Michael Bay got all tight and shit. Exactly. I mean, it's like, hire somebody who gives a shit about the role. Somebody can actually bring some passion, quote-unquote, to the role. Yep. I agree. Kevin Conroy, dude, he, he needs to voice Batman in everything. Everything. Every animated movie, every game, everything. Kevin Conroy, all the way through. Just because that's... Okay, this, whoever's in the costume, even if you do a live movie... Yeah. Oh, you want to do the Darth Vader treatment? All of it. Every time exactly. Batman moves his mouth, Kevin Conroy's voice comes out. It's the only voice that makes sense. Instead of fucking, where's the trigger? Where is it? <laughs> it's like I feel bad that whenever Batman speaks, I I just burst out of the laughter. Yeah. I swear, when I watched that movie in theaters. I had to choke back, you know, uncontrollable laughter. Well, when you were here yesterday, you saw Bane is, Bane is a Hispanic guy in, in the comics and in the game. And then it's like, you will be you will be incredibly in trouble if you make me a Hispanic. You will be in deep shit. Bane must speak like an Englishman with his nuts in a vice. Incredibly painful oh for you. <laughs> you know I'm right, dude. But it's like they never use the people that make sense. It's like Of course not. Because they want the big names on the marquee. Voicing Batman, Denzel Washington. <laughs> but it's like what do you call it with with um with Bane? You could have used Danny Trejo for the voice. But the dude has a mask on his face. That's right. And Danny, Danny Trejo is voice Bane in um, Young Justice. That's right. He's the only person who did justice. Dude, that is a tremendous suggestion. And it's true. Bane's mouth wasn't moving. Like, yeah, I mean, you want the accent was fun. Like, you have a lot of fun with it. But it's true. Danny Trejo would have been awesome doing the voice of Bane. It would have rocked. If anybody hasn't already seen, watch the episode of Young Justice and have Bane in them. 
and listen to Danny Trejo and tell me somebody else can do Bane. No. Other than maybe the guy who did Bane in Batman the Animated Series all that them years ago. No, you have to use Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy so does the voice of Bane. Of Bane's voice will be incredibly painful for you. <laughs> Damn, I could do that shit. I could do that shit all day. Let me not. Let me not. There's <laughs> like fucking ten minutes left. Um, while I have you on, we can we can wrap things up. Uh, Lee Pace, who was in The Hobbit, is um, joining the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy. He will be playing the role of the Collector, who is one of the elders of the universe. So it's going to be very interesting because, of course, he's the he's one of the, one of the elders that um, told of the prophecy that for that foresees Thanos's threat to the universe. So very interesting to see that. Um, you know, seeing seeing Lee Pace involved in that role, of course, coming off the Hobbit and doing guardians of the galaxy should be very interesting. Um, I, I have a nagging suspicion, dude, that Thanos's involvement is leading to infinity gauntlet on the big screen. Yeah, that's probably going to be the end of the thing. Dude, I, I smell it because think about it. You got Guardians of the Galaxy. Now we're talking about the Elders and the Collector and and the prophecy of Thanos threatening the universe. It's like, that's all Infinity Gauntlet shit. All of it. The only things that that you're missing would be Galactus and Silver Surfer, which are tied up with Fox. You know, because they got the Fantastic Four. So you're going to have to make, you're going to have to pull a couple of audibles for that. But... All signs point to the Infinity Gauntlet on the big screen, dude. Does anybody really care about the Fantastic Four on screen? They don't, but you know what the problem is? That in grabbing their characters, for, you know, and licensing out their characters, you lose, like, Galactus. And you lose the Surfer. And if you're talking about Infinity Gauntlet, nothing ties Infinity Gauntlet more together than the Surfer and Thanos. And their beef. Well, we didn't have Skrulls and Avengers, and that movie was still good. True, we didn't have Skrulls and Avengers, but they, you know, they 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 took some liberties with, um, you know, using some Ultimate stuff, which is fine. So you could do you can do a little bit of Ultimate stuff and and take some liberties. Don't get me wrong. I just think that to do something of that type of scope with the Gauntlet, it's just gonna be weird, especially for us that are in the know. That um, you know, you're gonna that you're you're gonna be like, damn, you know. That's kind of the scene where Surfer and, and Thanos fight it out or something. But it's fine, you know? I mean, you could just as easily replace him with, like, Adam Warlock. You know, it's no big deal. But I, I definitely see it leading to the gauntlet. I mean, I definitely feel the color strong one would be great if, like, all the Marvel and all the DC characters were handled by one company or handled by Marvel and DC. Because, I mean... I don't give a shit about the Fantastic Four, but if they were going to be the future foundation, at least I get to see Spider-Man in the white costume. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, it's definitely very interesting, but you bring up an interesting point about the rights to characters because um, Newsarama reports that Kevin Feige actually confirmed that the live-action film rights to Daredevil reverted back to Marvel. Nice. So we may, you know, we may see another Daredevil movie or who knows, we may see Daredevil pop up in Spider-Man now. 
That's what I would want to see. Yep. Could happen. You never know. Or, or, you know, he may pop up, you know, in a cameo in an Avengers movie. There was a recent, um, it was a, I don't even want to say whose story it was. It was, um, Daredevil, Punisher, and Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, like Marvel Knights. And, um, it was a great story because there was this, um, Daredevil was, was guarding this power source that Reed Richards had made out of some alien technology and, like, all the under all the assassins guilds were like trying to get it from him, like the hand and all those motherfuckers. And um, Spider Man was helping him, and Punisher got his hands on it. It was just a, a whole mess, especially because Spider Man forced Punisher to not kill anybody. There you go. Which. And, like, that alone, that storyline alone, we covered about maybe four or five issues across those three books. Could make a movie right there. There you go. I agree. That's something that could be interesting. Finally making a movie using top, you know, top-tier characters, but it's not like a Spider-Man movie or a Daredevil movie. This is true. It's like, then you don't have the pressure of trying to build towards an Avengers movie, but you have a title to make it a load of money. I agree 100%. Well, the other the other things I wanted to run by you is um, they're going to do an animated movie based on Heavenly Sword, IGN reports. Um, Anna Torv from Fringe, who I'm, who you know, of course, will be voicing the character of Noriko. Alfred Molina will be voicing King Bohan, and Thomas Jane will be voicing Loki. Todd Farmer will write the film, and Brad Foxhoven and David Wool are producing. There is no release date yet, though. Well, I'm glad they're doing an animated one and not a, um, a live-action one. I agree. Oh, by the way, Superhero Hype reports that we will be seeing Bishop and Warpath in X-Men Days of the Future Past. Do you have anybody, any, who's going to be Bishop and Warpath? Well, supposedly they cast this guy, Omar Sy, S-Y, that they're, ale- they're he's, it's rumored he's going to be playing Bishop and, and Boo Boo Stewart, who is Native American, may be playing Warpath. We'll see if that's true. Bishop needs to have the Jerry Curl mullet. Just saying. Needs that. Last but not least, um, they want to bring back the Baroness for the third G.I. Joe movie, which we know is going to happen. That's a given. Um, Zack Snyder is rumored to possibly be taking over the director duties for the Justice League movie if Man of Steel does well at the box office. We shall see how well that goes. What do you think? Uh, I think that that could definitely work. I mean, I haven't been watching trailers lately just because I feel like they, they, they're really ruining the experience lately because they, they just give away too much. But I saw the yep. trailer today when I saw Oblivion. Right. Well, yesterday. And 
I have a feeling that movie's finally gonna, you know, bring back some uh, quote-unquote glory to the the Superman movie franchise. Oh, we shall we shall see what happens. Last but not least, um, even though the Avengers obviously won't be in theaters till you know another two years. They're already giving thought to who we might see in Avengers 2, and there's rumors that we may be seeing uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in Avengers. They're saying that the um, the inclusion of the, in Avengers 2 may not obviously be a surprise because they are founding members, and they end, actually ended up getting the rights back from Fox because they had them listed as members of the X-Men as being mutants. So in, in working out the agreement, you'd be able to use Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, but... We'll see how well it how well that goes. I will say this: Quicksilver should be played by Michael Fassbender. That shit would be awesome. That can definitely work. Very suave, Michael Fassbender, and Quicksilver is a bit of a pompous asshole, so that might work. Well, that actually wraps up the uh, entertainment segment and the show for this week. Anything else you need to add? Yeah, I'm just. With that news of Heavenly Sword, I'm just mad that you know, they don't want to get Andy Serkis for Bohan. True. That could have worked. Good old Andy Serkis. I mean, he looks, I mean, the character looks like Andy Serkis. Right. He does. You're, they you're they th- patterned him around him. Oh, you're 100% right. But Alfred Molina is an excellent actor, so I'm sure he'll do the character justice. There you go. I like Alfred Molina. He usually does really good stuff. Yes, he does. Anything else, my friend? No, I'm good, man. All right, my dude. Thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. All right, peace. So the English woman just yelled into my ear that we have 90 seconds of show left. But you know what? The show is over. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 181 for Thursday, April 25th, 2013. You have any questions or concerns or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, you can email me mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. There's about 40 seconds left, so we will be disconnected on the Blog Talk Radio side. seconds. But we will be broadcasting still on the Mixler end to close things out. So for those on the Blog Talk Radio side, I will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening. For those of you on the Mixler side, as I said... Um, you can email me mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mytakeradio. Look for us on Facebook and become a fan. You can also add us to a circle on Google+. And, of course, for the best My Take Radio experience, make sure to pick up the official MTR app for Android and iOS devices. You can find the Android app in the Amazon Marketplace, and you can find the, and the um, iOS app in iTunes as usual. Last but not least, you can always listen to My Take Radio via Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, TuneIn Radio. Seconds. All right, 10 seconds. Jeez. Anyway, Zoom Marketplace and any other podcast providers. All right, so this week I'm figuring we're going to go out with. Um, you know what? We went out with The Awakening with the crew from Maniac Agenda. I'm figuring this week. We're going to go out with Kratos' Born of Ashes from God of War from the uh, Heroes and Villains soundtrack available on ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. On behalf of myself, Slick, Ben, Andrea, 
Team Buried, and the rest of the MTR crew, including Jay Santi and our partners. I will catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's all, bro. <laughs>